I'm the target of a meat missile going 150 miles an hour plus. That got really <laughs> exciting all of a sudden. I'm doing canopy safety. Um, I drive like an Asian, so I don't know if it's the most appropriate thing ever. I'm killing it. Utah, give me two. You're listening to Gravity Lab Radio, hosted by DJ Marvin and Nicholas Lott. Produced by Justin Grubbs. Have we talked about skydiving the whole time? All right, you guys. And just like that, we're live. Is we're doing happening? this thing. I think what? it's happening. What's going on? Is this the Super Bowl? I think it is. Yes, this is it. Oh, the Super Bowl is actually happening today. That's yeah. Right. yeah, we were yep. just talking about that. So, guys and gals, thank you for joining us once again. Uh, this is a special episode of Gravity Lab. If you're joining us live on Facebook, we're not normally uh, here on Sunday nights. We record on Thursday nights more often than not. But we couldn't pass up an opportunity to have a good guest in town, Albert Berchtold. Did I pronounce your last name right? Berchtold. Berchtold. Close enough. I've, I've known you for a bunch of years now, and yeah. I don't think I've ever known how to pronounce it. So yeah, That's okay. It's all good. Close enough. I want to share a little bit of background with folks to who you are, and then uh, we'll just go all over the place. Uh, sure. Just a little warning for you. We don't stay on topic, and we don't stay on track. <laughs> uh, the reason we're having this special episode tonight, guys, is the USPA Board of Directors meeting just wrapped up. How long ago? Yeah, a couple hours, actually. We finished about 3 o'clock this afternoon. And what were you doing at the board meeting? What was I doing yeah, personally? Well, yeah. What, what you, why are you there? My job is the executive director. So my job is to uh, communicate between the board and the staff, kind of keep things going. I'm, I'm kind of like a ping pong ball at the board meetings. I, I bounce around from one meeting to the next and, and help facilitate the meeting and, and help the board do what they need to do uh, at that meeting that happens twice a year. And uh, it was neat. You actually served for how many years on the board? You were regional director, right? Southeast? So I was the Southeast regional director for a while, and then I shifted over and became a national director. Uh, I think I was on the board for about eight years. And then uh, when the position for executive director came available, when uh, Ed was up, Ed Scott, who was the executive director for about 12 years, was up, and he was going to step step away from that role. And, uh, and I kind of moved into that spot and uh, now I'm helping run the office. I think it's neat uh, that you have that background as a board member before you step in, but it's not just where you you were a board member, but you also served as our treasurer for many years. Yes. Yeah, so my first year on the board was uh, Doc Lee Schlechtmeyer's last year on the board. And he had been the treasurer for many, 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 many years. And it's uh, it's a it's a job at USPA that it's a role at USPA on the board that doesn't have a lot of turnover. You know, when they when they find somebody who is good with accounting and good with numbers, it's kind of like, sweet, you know how to do this. You're in. <laughs> um, so I think <laughs> part of me thinks that Lee was kind of hanging out on the board just waiting for somebody to come in and take the slot because uh, it's an important role. And, um, you know, they uh, as he was stepping away, they're like, okay, he kind of groomed me into it you know, in my first year there and told me all about it. And, and, uh, I filled in in that spot for, for the time, for the rest of my time there, about seven years. I love that. The fact that you bring that understanding of financial operation from the second treasurer position. Now as an executive director, you have to deal with a lot of that money that at one point you helped manage. Yeah. So I worked with, I mean, when Ed, when Ed was the uh, executive director, I spent a lot, there was a lot of back and forth with him. You know, it's a lot of communication with the executive director, a lot of communication with the accounting department at USPA, just to have a good handle on, you know, the budgeting process, what's going on with the investments, 
you know, overseeing, looking at financial reports every month to make sure things are staying on track. Um, so it's, it's, it's setting the budget and then it's oversight as the year, you know, as we go throughout the year to make sure things are staying where they're supposed to and happening the way they're supposed to. So it was kind of cool to, to switch over from kind of the, you know, the, the board role in the financials to then the executive director role, which is, you know, turning, turning the wrenches a little more. I'm curious with the amount of experience you have in the kind of financial department of things, are you allowed to tell us where most of the money goes that the USPA spends? Um, it goes all over the place. So um, my degree, my bachelor's degree is in accounting and information systems. So the second, um, when Lee was stepping down and they were talking about who's going to take it over and they do elections on the board for who's going to take over the officer slots. I think the second I mentioned that I had a degree in accounting, they're like, you're in. <laughs> <laughs> um, not only can you count, but you know, accounting too. Um, so I mean, where all the money goes is, is it's like, it, there's no one spot to point, right? It's a, it's a massive budget of a, of a nonprofit organization and there's multiple departments, there's different revenue streams from the organization. Um, and then there's different departments where that money goes out to and expenditures um, for supporting the organization. So I can imagine that my USPA membership dues are, are one of those revenue streams that come in. The uh, yeah, USPA membership dues are, are really that's the primary. That's probably the largest percentage of the revenue. And wh- where else does any money come from? So there's uh, revenue that comes from uh, obviously individual memberships. There's revenue that comes from group memberships. There's money that comes in from advertising revenue for Parachutist Magazine and Parachutist.com. There are uh, affiliate programs with USPA. Like you've seen some of those uh, some of those items that are affiliate programs on the USPA website. Um, benefits programs, the Hertz Rent a Car program. If you if you use any of those discount codes, there's money that that flows back into USPA on the back end for that. It's small amounts, but it's there. Um, it's actually a very small amount now. There's uh, we revive the USPA store, so there's um, branded USPA materials. You can buy a license stuff, USPA polo shirts and shot glasses and things like that. There's a little bit of revenue that comes from that. That swanky little pullover you got is that, is that for sale on the site? No, not yet. Aww. This is uh, it should be. It this looks is good. One I picked up. Yeah, we're we're um, we had gotten rid of the store a couple years ago mm-hmm. um, because of a bunch of changes in. F- state tax law stuff, which is obviously real exciting tax law. Nobody, uh, (laughs) you know, tax regulations, nobody likes that stuff, but it got really confusing and expensive. So we had gotten rid of the store, but last year we were able to revive it. We found a company that we could work with that we could revive that stuff to be able to offer that because a lot of people like it, you know, um, there are shirts that say like USPA instructor, people dig those a license shot glasses, right? People get their a license. They're like, cool. You know, they want something with an a license on it. They love that stuff. So it's, while it doesn't really generate, honestly, it doesn't generate that much money at all, but it's more, it's more a sense of, of having it. So our, our members can enjoy it, right? They want to wear it. They, they enjoy being USPA members. They want to wear the brand, right? They're excited about skydiving. They're excited to be skydivers. So giving them that opportunity is really where it's at. You know, it's not, one of the things that used to be, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be sad now, that used to be on the USPA store, and I ordered every year. What would I order every year? The calendar. <laughs> and the calendar is now gone? Is that? Yeah. So the calendar, man, that's a tough one because we all loved it, right? Yeah. So the calendar was, was something that, you know, everybody used to 
used to buy calendars. Calendars were the thing, right? And and we used to sell thousands of them, right? And uh, year by year, less and less people would buy the calendar. It was a pretty big undertaking to do it, right? Because we had to get with the different photographers who contributed to Parachutist and to USPA, and uh, and we'd pick out the best photos for it, um, find the best ones, put the whole calendar together, figure out where we're getting it printed, figure out what we would charge for it, and try try to keep the cost reasonable. It was a large format calendar so it was cool in the sense that it was big um but year by year the number of people that were purchasing it just kept going down and down and down and obviously as printing goes the less you print the more it costs and um it got to the point where it's been it's actually been costing uspa a a decent chunk of money every year to produce that calendar so we uh we the decision was made to say look financially it's a loser and it's been a loser for a number of years it's certainly not even breaking even but um, there was another project that the communications department wanted to get into and uh, they really didn't have any time to do it so the the deal was okay we'll get rid of the calendar but we want you to devote more time to this other project and getting it off the ground and that was the uh, or is <clears throat> the starter magazine so I don't know. I don't know if you've ever seen the the guys over USPA used to do one of these many years ago, and uh, British Skydiving does one now, a, a really nice one, and it's a it's an annual print, and it's a starter magazine. So it's designed for people who have either just done their first tandem or just done their first skydive. They're early in the sport, right? And it talks about where they can go in the sport. What can they do? You know, what is free flying? What is canopy piloting? What is formation skydiving? You can do competition. You can do big ways. You can do this. You can do that. You can do speed skydiving. Uh, all the different disciplines that are there and how do you get into them? What's it all like? It talks about the world of jumping and our community. And it's designed to be something that, you know, while they could pick up Parachutist Magazine, a new jumper who's just done one or two jumps, when they pick up Parachutist Magazine, it's a bunch of cool pictures, but a lot of the articles are written for they're written for experienced skydivers. So if you're somebody who's got two or three jumps, a lot of those articles are, might be tough to read. What's this AF thing they keep talking about? If someone's reading AF ever. I mean, I just noticed when we get a group of folks like this together, the number of acronyms and uh, <laughs> just totally unrecognizable un, uh, language that flows pretty easily. Yeah, I can imagine your, your first-time tandems aren't picking up on very much of that. What, what's the... Uh, oh, did my microphone just cut out? I don't. Oh, no? just my headphones. Great. No, I can hear you. Um, oh yeah, I still haven't replaced. What's that the What's the name of the magazine? The starter magazine. So it, uh, it doesn't really have a name yet, but um, the idea is that it'll be some sort of starter magazine. We might come up with a fancy name for it at some point, but right now it's putting all the content together for it. Do they have uh, an idea of when that might start coming out? No date on it yet. It's in It's in development. So that's actually one of my first questions on our cheat sheets over here. Man, I, you got notes. Well, uh, I have all the agenda. <laughs> I have a lot of notes. You, you Albert, you should be really flattered right now because we've done a lot of these shows and almost never. Like I guess maybe when we first started, yeah, we had some notes. I remember we had Raúl t- on to talk about uh, Venezuela, yeah. and there were some politicians and policies that I wasn't going to remember unless I had written them down. But almost never do any of us come to the to the table here with any notes. So you, you should feel important is what I mean to tell you. He's got the fire sheet ready. Uh, dude, go. I got stacks and stacks of notes. This is uh, a great opportunity for me. Uh, US, you just had the board meeting, and we want to talk about if you guys are tuning in and, and want to know where we're going is 
number one, what happens at these board meetings? Number two, how can I get involved as a member or participate as a member? And it, really, it's super easy, guys. I, I actually uh, tune in remotely all the time and I attend as much as I can. And this is, uh, I, I wasn't able, the board meeting's in my hometown. It's in Houston. It's 20 minutes from my house, and it's one of the, it, I didn't go. I happened to be out of town on vacation spending an anniversary uh, time with my wife. So I had to print all the agendas up just to remember what was going on. I actually uh, look at these, and, and guys and gals, if you go to USPA.org, and I believe it's the governance tab, yep. uh, you will find board of directors, and you can see the agendas of what's coming up. They're posted how far ahead of time? Uh, at least 15 days before the meeting starts. Okay. Yeah, so there, um, we did a really cool thing last year, and, and this was one of the byproducts of COVID that came out, was um, we really started moving a lot of the board meeting stuff online. So historically, the only way you could really find out what was going on at the board meeting, yeah, it would be online, but most of the people, if they wanted to know anything about it, they had to, they had to come to the city where it was. Or they had to call the regional director and they had to find the agenda and then call the regional director. Well, now with it with COVID and everything, we the organization was kind of forced into figuring out how to, you know, what what'll happen if we can't get together for a board meeting? What'll happen if we have to move the entire board meeting online and have all the board members meet virtually? You know, what if we have to go completely that direction? So so we built a a lobby area. It's called the lobby, and uh, it has. It has all the schedules for all the meetings. It has the agenda. It's got um, it's got a separate two separate sections. One section for members, and then there's a, a back end of it for board members as well. So the front end, the a member can see the schedule for the meeting. They can click on and see the agenda for each one, and then they can also register if they're a member in good standing and they log into the website. They can register for the meeting. They get uh, two links, basically one for each of the boardrooms the two boardrooms that we'd be using at the actual venue where the, where the meeting's being held and they can tune into those via zoom and they can listen to the meeting. They can raise their hand. They can see the discussion that goes on um, and they can participate in it if they want. Um, so that's pretty cool. And on the back end of it, uh, the board members also have functionality in there that they can see the report out items. They can see the detail of the agenda and the discussions. So there's a lot in there that's helped put 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 it online and get it out of the paper mode of things. And historically, if you wanted to see any of that discussion or hear any of that discussion, you ha- it either had to be in your hometown or you had to get on a plane and you had to fly to wherever the board meeting was and go sit there. But now within the last, you know, I think it's been three or four meetings we've done this now yeah. where you can you can uh, register online, you get a couple links that show up in your inbox and you can click th- sit there, click on it, and you can listen. And if you want to listen to one committee or another committee, you can pick which, you know, whatever your passion is, right? If you want to, if you're an instructor and you want to tune into the safety and training committee, you can do that. If you're a competitor in the sport and you want to hear about what's going on in competition, you can tune into that meeting. Or if you just want to hear all the general discussion that goes on when the full board is together, you can tune into that. So whatever part interests you as a skydiver, or if you just want to tune into all of it and see what's going on, like, see how the the board of your organization is functioning and making change you can do that and it's been it's been pretty cool and i can say that the board meeting moves around so they're always in a different city and that's that's on purpose right so some one meeting there's two a year one in the summer and one in the winter and one will be held you know if one the one is in the east coast 
the next one will be out west, and then the next one will be in the center of the country. So they're moved around geographically. Um, so different members have the opportunity to show up. It'll be maybe close to them, hopefully in driving distance. And every meeting, there's a there's a new member that shows up. There's always somebody different at that meeting who's never been to a USP meeting. And one of the a lot of a lot of the time, it'll be somebody who'll just it's you, the the people I love that show up are the ones that come in and say. I've never been to one of these before, and I just wanted to see what the heck you're all doing here. <laughs> and um, and they'll they they may have an idea about what the organization does. They may have no clue at all. And when they come into the meeting and they see what goes on, and they see these 22 people sitting around a table discussing what's going on in the future of their sport, and if it's the rules or if it's the guidance that the organization puts out or how they communicate or whatever it might be. And they see the amount of debate that goes in and discussion that goes into every topic. They're amazed, right? Because if you don't tune into any of that and you don't listen to it or you, you're not there and you don't see it, you just, you see an agenda item and then you see a motion and an outcome. And to get from that agenda item to that motion or outcome, either a motion that makes a change or some, or no change maybe, there might be two hours or th- two or three hours worth of discussion that went into that where opposing sides said, well, we want this and, or we don't want this, you know, and it's back and forth. Right. And it's constructive, um, uh, argument that goes back and forth on different points of view. And it's, it's, that's what the board's all about, right? It's about having different people with different, different opinions on different topics, talking through things and ultimately coming out with, what that group believes will be the best for the sport. So one of the things that you said was constructive argument. And, and I love that you can say that today because you and I have both seen the board in our lifetime in the sport, not be constructive in their arguing. And thankfully people are becoming more and more interested in our board. People are becoming more and more interested in what USPA is doing and current state of USPA government is unbelievable. And I mean that in a good way. I, the, the current, I don't agree with all the board of directors, and we shouldn't. I don't believe or I don't uh, follow everything they do, but we, we shouldn't. We should have those changing opinions or those different opinions. But seeing what's going on at headquarters and seeing what's going on at the board, it's so amazing to see how cooperative these different views have become. And, and it's nice, and I love the transparency. For, for a long time, I have asked and questioned, why can't we see these meetings online? Why can't you guys broadcast? And I'm, I'm not the only one. And thanks to, thanks to COVID, that did make it possible. And I'd encourage people, I, since they have had these meetings online, this last meeting is the first one I've missed. I have been online, and at times, Jen has turned off the cameras between sessions and goes in front of the camera goes, bye, DJ. And I'm like, <laughs> man, I'm the only one here. Great. But it, it's great because, A, you get to see what's happening, and they will truly call on you. The, the board will ask you your opinion. They will, they will call on you. They will speak with you. They, they, you will be part of the system. And constructively, agree or disagree, they'll, they'll guide you along that process. I want to give some people a, a basic skeleton of what it looks like in a weekend for the board. So it's a Friday through Sunday event. Mm-hmm. Um, and Friday morning, the board meets and starts with... So it starts on... So this meeting was actually a little bit different because... Uh, it, it is Friday through Sunday. It goes through Sunday. Uh, four o'clock is typically the hard stop time, but usually they finish before that. Um, this one was a little bit different. So usually they'll get there, they'll start the meeting. 
um, and they'll run through adoption of the agenda. Uh, they will go over any interim motions that were done by the executive committee from the last meeting up until this one, because in between the meetings, there's some stuff that has to happen, right? There's business that has to get done that requires board approval. And in between the meetings, it's the executive committee that does that, the smaller group of the board that are the president, vice president, treasurer, secretary, chairman of the board, and a member at large. So those that smaller group gets together if there's something that requires immediate action from the board in between the meetings. So they'll go over any decisions or actions that that group made, and uh, those will all be disclosed to the full board uh, for them to ratify and approve or disapprove. And, and typically that smaller group won't make any decisions in between that they know would be very controversial. And they know that the, that the larger board wouldn't approve of, because if they did, then they'd be in a hole, you know, they'd have to deal with that at the next meeting. So from there, then they move into, uh, if there's any new business or old business that the, that the full group needs to discuss, but then usually what they'll do is they'll break into um, committees. So the organization runs in a committee structure. So there's a number of committees. There's competition. There's safety and training. There's governance. There's membership services. Uh, there's finance and budget. So these committees will all break into smaller groups and different board members are on different committees. And then as those committees discuss what they have on their agenda, they'll debate within those committees and they'll say, yeah, we like this. No, we don't like this. Hey, we need to do this instead of that. They'll come to some decisions as a, as a, a smaller group. And then they will come to the larger group in, in a plenary session of the full board. And they will report out and they'll have motions that they want to present to the full board to either adopt or not adopt changes to rules or whatever it may be. Changes in competition or changes in our governance of, as an organization. And then the full board would, would have a discussion or debate on those topics, and then they would either pass or fail or do whatever they do with them. Um, this meeting was a little bit different because we had our election last year, at the end of last year. So last October, we went through a board election, so we selected a new board. And we had some changes in the makeup of the people that were on the board. And because of that, that uh, ev uh, happens every three years. So... The last board ran from 2019 to 2021, and that's a three. That's the three-year term. That's what our uh, our bylaws say is the term of the board. So when that's up, we have an election, and then we elect a new board, eight national directors, fourteen regional directors, and people put their name in nominations, and then we hold the election, which is an online election, happens in October, and then we elect a new board. So those, this was the first seating of that new board. So the first thing they need to do is when you seat the new board, they have to elect the officers, right? So they have to elect a new president, vice president, treasurer, secretary, chairman, and member at large, new ISC delegate, and then potentially new uh, committee chair, chairpersons as well, who will kind of oversee each of those little subcommittees. So uh, that was the first thing that happened at this meeting. So it was kind of interesting because we, we budget a, a fair amount of time in the schedule to do those elections because they'll go around the room and say, hey, who wants to be president? And um, somebody will say, well, I, I nominate Bob to do that. And somebody else will say, I'm going to nominate Joe to do that. And then 
there's a, they pass out little pieces of paper. They each talk and say, well, I'd like to be president because I'll, you know, give free ice cream to everybody, whatever it might be. That, Voting for him. Yeah. I'm in. <laughs> whatever their, whatever, you know, whatever their position is and whatever, what, why, you know, why do they think they'll do a good job in that role on the executive committee? How long have they been on the board? You know, what are they passionate about? Why do they think they'd be good in that role? And then they pass out little pieces of paper and they do these votes for officers by, by a secret ballot. So they vote and then they would say, okay, the president for the next term is, you know, Bob Jones wins. This time around when they, when they went through that process and sometimes it takes a while, right? Sometimes because sometimes they have to whittle it down from, you know, where there might be four or five people running for a slot and then it gets whittled down to two and then they have to vote again and it can take a while. This time around, when they did the nominations, they had one person that was nominated for president. And then, and that was Chuck, who was the president last time around. And then they did nominations for vice president. And there was one person, Sherry, Sherry Butcher, who was the president, vice president before. And then they did secretary, and that was Ray Lalla, one person. And then they did treasurer, and that was one person. Jack Pylan. Jack Pylan. And then they did chairman, and that was Randy Allison, one person. And then they did member at large, and that was Luke Akins. One person. So the whole secret ballot thing wasn't really necessary. There was only one person running. They voted him in and they moved on. So the executive committee, the organization this time around, didn't change. And that's interesting because the process that could have taken two hours took about 10 minutes. (laughs) So what do you think it is unique that uh, created that situation where there was only one person uh, running for each of those slots? So for some of it, it's, it's that there was no one else on the board that was interested or qualified for that position. For instance, like treasurer, that's not really like every time I ran for every, when I was on the board and every time I ran for treasurer, I was the only guy whose name was up there. Cause no, they were like, he's doing good. He hasn't lost the money. Let's keep him there. Well, yeah. If I show up the day before and just start a really good smear campaign, you can give it a, <laughs> you can give it a try, you know? Um, uh, you could give it a try, but I mean, for the most part, that it's and and so there was no one else who ran for it, no one else who wanted the positions. And the interesting thing is what it what I think what it said inadvertently is that the group, the full board, the twenty two member board, was happy and yeah. was pleased with the job that that executive committee did for the last three years. They felt they represented the organization well. They felt yes. they did a good job in those roles. They felt they did a good job as a leading group of the of the full board they conducted themselves well in the interim they made decisions that the board agreed with and they felt they acted as a good good leaders on the board so they reelected the entire lot without any opposition so that was that that's an indication to me that that there's a good there's a good harmonious group there working well together that they were happy with what they were doing so kind of interesting I, I would say the same from the outside looking in. It, it's, it's been fun to watch, and it's always a good time. Um, serving on the board could definitely be a headache, but those who are there to serve and serve with honor, Chuck Akers is a good example. Over the last couple of years, we've seen one of the most efficient boards we've ever seen. I think a part of it is due to the, the uh, online meetings beforehand. A lot of the committees are doing things online before they ever get to the, the, uh, to the, the board meeting itself. But I also just think uh, these guys are cooperating. They're efficient. They are keeping things moving along. I watched the first uh, 
board meeting I watched Chuck actually be president of. He, he'd been president for a little bit, but it was the first time it was aired online. I had already heard a lot of great things from mutual friends. Man, Chuck keeps a very efficient meeting. He keeps things moving along. When things become redundant or argumentative, he tries to push that back and say, hey, guys, let's move forward. Let's not be, beat this up. And I got to see it, and he does. He does an absolutely great job. And let's be real, I don't think many people are envious of some of the positions. And, and it's nice to see that synergy. And, and I really like the changes that are going on in USP. And I say changes, it's not an insult to people like Jim Crouch and Ed Scott. Uh, Ed Scott, you've uh, taken over his position, and Ron Bell has taken Jim's. But you're fresh. You're young. You're new. I just called you young. You're young. You're new. And that, that fresh energy has been great. And I, I think the same is true of the board. Now, I'm going to put you on the spot, and can you name who is all on the board and particularly uh, pointing out who the new members are? So the full list, I'm going to need to use my, I'm going to need to use all my fingers and toes for this. Man, I'm impressed that you're even giving it a shot. This is great. Yeah, I can, I'm sure I can run off all 22 of them. So uh, executive committee, you've got Chuck Akers, Sherry Butcher, um, Jack Piland, treasurer, Ray Lalo, uh, Randy Allison, Luke Akins. Uh, You've got Mike Watkins, who is the chair of safety and training. You've got Mike Mullins, who is the group membership. You've got uh, Paul Golson, who is the group chair of the regional yeah. directors. You've got Shauna Finley. Um, uh, Melissa Lowe. Uh, Jeannie Bartholomew. Ed, Ed Scott. Scott. Brandon Radcliffe. Uh, Larry Hill. Mike McGowan, Josh Hall, Jim Reese, Brian Naiman. <laughs> he's Pacific, get, right? Yeah, he's Pacific. He's um, he's a lawyer by trade, attorney by no, trade? No, he's not a lawyer. Okay, for some no, reason. he's a skydiver. There was somebody else, I think, Pacific at one point that was a lawyer. Yeah. Yep, okay. Jason Putnam Gordon. That's, he's not on anymore, yes. though. And he's, that's, that is a lawyer's name yep. when you have that many names. <laughs> Chris Wagner. East. Um, Al King. And one more. Man, we're at 21 right now. Yeah, we're I'm impressed. Alex has a list pulled up over there just biting it, biting it. No, I'm trying to figure it out because they're listed by categories. And you went by the first couple of categories. I'm like, yeah, I got it. And, and then I'm we all, bounced around a little bit, and I'm trying to find the name that I missed. Yeah, now I'm all over the place, right? Well, so, I hope they're not listening. Yeah. Oh, they are. There's he remembered me last. <laughs> Who am I missing? Who am I missing? Uh, I mentioned Jack. Um, Who... While we think of that, who is new to the board? Who are the new members? I think Brian, Brandon Radcliffe. Yep, Brandon Radcliffe, Southeast Regional Director. He's new. Uh, Ed Scott is new. Obviously, not his first board meeting. Sure. He um, he had been to he's been to forty nine board meetings <sighs> before ever actually serving on the board. That's a lot of board. Yeah. So it's <laughs> kind of weird because he went from being the executive director like forever. Uh, to being on the board, and I went from being on the board to being the executive director. So they're very different roles, and they kind of work. They work very differently as well. So one of them, where so I'm as the executive director, I'm there, and I'll participate in conversations to help provide information to the board. But I'm not a voting member of the board, right? So I'm not involved in that. I don't. I, I usually am not a person that's in the debate, like with an opinion, right? I'm there for information. 
I share the staff perspective. I share information that the board may not be aware of that they may, that may, that I can share that may help them in making the decision. But my, my job isn't to have an opinion to say, I think I believe this and I think you should do this. It's, that's not my job there. You know, that's their job is to, is to debate and make the decisions. My job is to say, well, this is how, you know, if you decide to go this way, this or this way, this is how it might affect staff or, or affect the way we do business. Basically you present facts, not opinions. Yeah. Typically. Yeah. So you've re- referred to the staff a few times. H- yep. How many people make up the, the USPA staff? We have 17, 17 on staff. So the, the board's bigger than the staff. Yeah, correct. That's interesting. Okay. Yep, yep. So uh, which one of those groups would you say you're more a part of? Um, uh, maybe I, I mean to say, which do you feel like you're more a part of? Like, do you feel like you're working for the board? Do you feel like you're working for the staff? Well, at this point, I'm staff. You know, I am I am the person who, who manages the staff. So um, I guess when you said that you bounce back and forth between those two groups, I wondered... I'm uh, kind of the liaison between the two. And, and whose goals do you feel like you align more closely with, or do you, do you feel like you're? I guess you're, do you feel like you're more a part of either either one of those groups? Well, the the goals and the and the vision of the organization is set by the board, mm-hmm. right? And it's it's staff's job to, you know, they kind of set the vision and the and the policy, and it's staff's job to execute it. So when they decide, hey, we want the board, we want the the organization to go this way, or we want to implement this policy. Then, then as staff, we take that back and say, okay, here's what it's going to take to do that. And then we turn the wrenches. Okay. You know, we help make it happen. I also would, and I'm guessing, I'm not 100% sure on this, but I believe in some years we've had a staff and a board of directors that have very conflicting feelings about topics and progress that we're making, where it seems today that the staff members and the board are very similarly minded. There's going to be, a, of course, some, some difference of opinions. But it seems like both are very much on the same track, very much on the same train. So when the board hands off staff guidance or direction, the staff's like, yes, this is great. Let's move forward. So it, I think it would almost be easy to be a part of the whole at that point. Yeah, there's I mean, there's there's things that people there's things that the groups agree on and then there's things that they don't. And ultimately, the, the good part is there's there should always be some level of debate. Right. Because if you get a group, if you get the board together and they just agree on everything chances are they're going to make some bad decisions because there is no level of healthy conflict, right? There should be, there has to be. But on the other side of things, if there's too much conflict and it becomes unhealthy and they can't make decisions and they can't come to agreements, that's not good either. So you've got to kind of find this happy balance in the middle of saying, well, we're not all, we're not all agreeing. We don't all have the same opinion. We don't all have the same history. We don't all think the same, but we also don't want to rip each other's fucking heads off either. So you have this happy medium where you can politely argue and disagree with each other and it's constructive for the organization. And that's when you get the best outcome. And when they come up with, when they have those disagreements and then they come up with something, then they hopefully have had that healthy debate to where they walk away from it and they all say, okay, this is our decision as an organization. And this is where we're going to go. Whether they were one that, really like the idea to begin with or not, it's now not, it's not, it's not Bob's idea or Mary's idea. Now there's a decision made and that's what the organization is going to do. And, and Bob and Mary should both get behind it. Right. You know, Hey, we debated it. You know, we thought, you know, this, this came up, that came up, but here's what we as a group all decided was the best for the organization. So that's hopefully what you shoot for. And I think we're, 
I think as an organization, we're doing a pretty good job of that right now. And, and the staff also sees, they obviously, they're another group, right? So they have to work. They're another team within our organization, right? They all have to work together and they all have their own jobs, right? So there's our membership services group. There's the folks in communication who handle the magazine and the website and sending out emails and things like that. There's the competition department. There's the safety and training department. And they all have their own areas of responsibility, their own things that they need to do. But they work together every day because obviously there's crossover, right? You see all those safety-related articles that are in the magazine. Well, those come out of Ron Bell's department. And the competition-related stuff that goes in the magazine, that's Steve Hubbard that puts that stuff together, right? So they all have to communicate and work together. So even though they all have their own areas of responsibility in their own departments, they all have to work together. They're constantly working together. We have a weekly meeting amongst all the directors on staff who they it's a quick exchange of information. Hey, what's going on in your world now? What are you guys doing? Where's the crossover? Make sure there's good communication. So the better they work together, uh, you also see a lot of what you're seeing, which is a different, a different view and a, and a, and a good view and a good amount of communication coming out of the organization that's all kind of in line and positive for the membership. So it's, it's definitely, I would say it's a really, it is a good time. You know, it's a good time for the organization. There's good board activity. There's good discussion. There's good ideas. There's good vision. And, and, and then the staff's working together harmoniously to help execute all of that. It's great to see. It's it's I, I I can't say it enough. Just seeing some of the dissension amongst amongst the ranks over years past, um, and not necessarily recent years, but just years past. Just to see how well and how productive the staff works uh, t- together, and also how well the board works with the staff. It, it is a nice thing to have. Um, we were going over who the new members were. Ed Scott. Ed Scott. Yep. Who was um, the previous executive director? And it was kind of funny. He and I have been in a, a lot of, we have a lot of communication, right? So he was obviously in the role for 12 years. So I had a lot of questions coming in, a lot of things I didn't know. And uh, when I had a question about something that happened before or needed some advice, he was pretty awesome. I could call him up and go, hey, Ed, can you tell me about this situation? He'd go, oh, yeah, yeah, here you go. And he would, he'd spend some time and talk to me. So he's been a great resource for me growing into this role. And uh, he called me up one day and he said, so, and this was middle of last year. He said, Albert, I'm thinking about, I think I'm going to run for the board. And I said, wow, Ed, um, I said, I'll be honest. Ed, if there was one person I did not expect to see run for the board (laughs) this time around, it was probably you. Out of the 42,000 people that are members in this organization, I didn't expect to see your name on the ballot. And uh, he goes, well, you know, I said, you must be a glutton for punishment. You know, he's coming back for more, right? He spent 24 years working for the organization. And it's a testament to how, I mean, he loves skydiving, right? He loves the sport. He loves the organization. And he wants to be a part of it, right? So um, he he's going to bring a really unique point of view to the board, right? He's spent so much time sitting on the staff side of things, executing the the vision and decision and policy of the board and now he's on the other side now he's he's part of that decision making process we kind of talked about like you know uh, i sit in the meetings and it's not my opinion i'm there for fact i'm there to help the board make those decisions well that's what he was for 12 years and now this weekend was the first time he sat at that table and he's not the fact he's 
his opinion is in the discussion. Like he has a vote. When they vote, he now raises his hand where before he would he would sit and the board members would vote. So different dynamic. So pretty cool to have him on there. I think uh, it's not just neat that we have a, a few new board members. And really, I, it, the, not everybody on the board is new, but there's been quite a bit of turnover over some time. But the energy is new, not just there, but at staff. Because not only are you new in that in your position, it's been a couple few years now, but Ron Bell, the Director of Safety and Training. Yep. Um, I do have a question about that in a minute, um, the title change. Um, and then um, Randy O. Uh, yeah, my, yeah. Uh, Michael Knight. Thank you, Mike, yep. Michael Knight. Uh, Shout out to Mikey Knight. Dude, that, Best organizer in the wide world. I love Mikey Knight. <laughs> Mikey Knight was here for... Was that a Live Bigs event that you got that video from? Uh, that's where I I met Mikey originally in... Uh, uh, Lodi. Parachute Center, Lodi. Uh, that's the very first place I met him. Oh. And But I have some video of him giving a real good speech at one of those Live Bigs events that still... I've, I edited that video. I shot that video. I've seen that video a hundred times, and I'd still, it gives me chills every time I hear him talk. Yeah, I see that video pop up, and I will stop and listen to Mikey just talk about this guy, dive, where we're at this moment, and just the passion. And it's good to see people like him and Ron Bell step in, because Jim Crouch did a good job. Randy O is, did a phenomenal job. Randy Ottinger was... Yep. How long was he in that job? He worked for USPA for, I think, 15 years. And director yep. of government relations, uh, if you guys don't know, basically our voice to the FAA. He's the one who talks back and forth between the government and us and helps us interpret what's going on. Yeah, so that's that's part of it. So it's, it's like that person, that role, that department is kind of the unsung hero of the organization, right? Without what we do in government relations, we probably wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be skydiving, truthfully. Um, and it's one of the it's one of the three the big three as I call them of what this organization does and that's defending our right to uh, airports and airspace in the U.S. and um, it's a it's a multifaceted job so part of it is you know liaising with the FAA part of it's working when there's NTSB inquiries or information there a lot of it is day to day working with. Uh, would-be drop zone owners or existing drop zone owners on challenges they may be having with their airport management, the city where they are, uh, understanding the FARs. Um, that, that area is a real asset to, to our group members and, and, and helping ensure that we can keep skydiving, right? So there's a long, long history of situations where there were struggles with you know, staying in compliance with the FAA. There's a long history there of battles with uh, Congress on potential legislation that would come come out that could potentially destroy the sport, um, whether it be our access and ability to, to be on airports or um, uh, the costs related to skydiving and sales tax, things like that. Um, where a lot of, there was a, there was a point in time where a lot of states were trying to add we're trying to tax skydiving, which was found to be uh, inappropriate because it's it's kind of federal, 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 federal grounds. There, you can't really have uh, states taxing it. Um, so there's a there's a long history of that stuff and how that that part of what we do has kept us doing what we love to do. And most people don't hear about it; they don't think about it. But truthfully, if the organization didn't do good at that, we wouldn't be able to have the fun we have jumping out of planes. So many people 
mock USPA and, and talk down because like what's USPA really do for me? I get this really cool magazine that I don't read anymore. They do this or they do that. And and one instance that comes to mind and Randy O was part of is oh my goodness, I'm gonna say in the early tens, two thousand thirteen, two thousand ten, two thousand somewhere around there, the state of Indiana tried to uh, pass a law that says all skydiving instructors must be licensed by the Department of Transportation in Indiana. Um, at that point, I had just, so yeah, it's like 05 to 08 time frame. I had just moved to Texas, but I had a lot of uh, skydiving routes in Indiana. And uh, Jay Stokes also, that's where him and I had met and worked together for quite a while. And it, it was amazing to see USPA immediately came to the call. USPA went to Indiana state legislative um, me- meetings. Randy Ottinger was there to help explain to the state, this is how we're governed, this is what we do. Because could you imagine our state Department of Transportation governing skydiving? That's That just makes no sense. Yeah, I wonder, people who have that thought of like that kind of, what does USPA do for me? Yeah. What what would uh, skydiving look like? Uh, who, I guess who would who's going to be the next group to regulate skydiving if the USPA isn't doing it? I don't really see, I mean, while you can consider USPA in that regulatory hierarchy, mm-hmm. you know, of things, um, I don't think of USPA as, as, a, as a regulatory body. While they might be when it comes to, you know, they set basic safety rules and things like that, but they're, they're, they're as much, if not more, the regulatory body as they are your voice and your advocacy in the sport. Because without them the regulation would be such that we wouldn't exist, right? So uh, we wouldn't be able to do a lot of what we do. And a lot of the reason that the the regulation, either through the FAA or through laws, through legislation, a lot of the reason there's don't exist is because we as a, as a group of 42,000 people who are USPA have chosen to self-regulate ourselves, right? So these aren't USPA isn't this. There's no boogeyman behind a behind a curtain that is USPA. We are USPA. I know Chuck Akers. Yeah, you he's know the him, boogeyman. Right? You can. Yeah, exactly. He's you know. <laughs> I know so, him. So it's it's our is it's us saying look if if we don't do this stuff somebody else is going to step in and tell us how to do it right and truthfully who's better to create our own safety guidelines and our own uh, rules regulations. Um, our own guidance. Who's who can do that better than our than than us as skydivers? We can do it better, and we all believe we can do it better, which is why USPA exists, right? If we wanted the folks on Capitol Hill to do it for us, well, we wouldn't exist, right? We just let them do it, and they would they would make up rules about how skydiving should be done. Now, now we can all look at that and go, well, they don't they wouldn't know how to do that, right? Well, that's why we're here mm-hmm. as an organization and as a group. We've come together. 42,000 people and said, look, we're going to do this. We're going to figure out how to make our activity safe so we can keep doing it because if we don't, somebody else might do it. And that's probably not going to look the way we want it to look. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I fear the day that, uh, you know, I, I imagine like the FAA being in charge of of the rules that get passed to skydivers. And that's mm. t- super terrifying to me thinking about people who you know skydiving is probably viewed as more of an inconvenience to lots of those folks than it is anything to to be enjoyed so i'm super grateful that the uspa exists to uh to be that middleman and to and to be that that voice uh because <laughs> i worry about uh you know you go through the airport and you see how every, everything that's run federally whether it's the post office or the faa just doesn't seem to uh 
to be that great. So. GFA won't let me be, won't let me be me. So can't you? <laughs> Wait a minute. You ever heard Jay do Eminem to skydiving? No. Uh, Jay, Jay Stokes. Yeah. So Jay Stokes' <laughs> uh, youngest son, um, Evan, was is a huge or was a huge Eminem fan. And I, now we're going back like 15, 20 years. And Jay spent a lot of time traveling through his son's life. He was on the road a lot as an examiner. He was on the road a lot as a skydiver. So when Jay was at home with his son, he would let his son listen to whatever. Like, hey, what do you want to do, Evan? It's up to you. It's up to you. And, of course, it was a censored version. Uh, Jay would let his kid play Eminem, but it had to be a censored version. And Jay, first of all, I've never seen an old white dude rap so much in my life. And, B, he knew so many Eminem lyrics. It blew my mind. And then... Two video guys go around the outside. Around he he would make up skydiving <laughs> yes. versions of them, dude. We'd be in the plane, and Jay would literally just sit there and rap. And we're like, "What? Jay is Stokes? there a video? Yes, Jay Stokes. Oh, I want to see that. Is there a video? Probably. Uh, I got rid of all my mini DV tapes a long time ago. I'm oh, sure. it's that sort of video. Uh, I was going to start Googling, but it doesn't sound like I'm going to find anything. <laughs> no, no, because this is just us goofing. I don't think we ever produced anything. Ah, it was Any of the video that was recorded was just us recording him doing it because we were having a good time. So you nice. and Jay are going to have a Zoom call sometime this week, <laughs> and you're going to be secretly recording the meeting and say, hey, remember that, that song you used to sing? <laughs> How's that, that going again? Let's, yeah. just, let's just no, do it between to, us yeah, for old to, time's sake. Trying to remember the lyrics. Can you help me out? <laughs> <laughs> and then you share it with me, and then we blackmail him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you, you can blackmail Jay all you want. I'm scared of him. Have you seen the size of that dude's thighs? He kicked my head off. So, but he's he, so nice. He is. He's you nice, should, but you should keep the audio. You can make a TikTok video out of it, <laughs> dude. I'll make a music video out of it yeah, for sure. Yeah. I've seen some of your music videos. I have a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, some of the like fun it. stuff, man. It's. So one of the things that's interesting over the years is USPA stands for United States Parachute Association. Mm-hmm. But uh used to be called foreign group members, I believe is the old name, but now affiliates, USPA affiliates. Yep, foreign affiliates. Foreign affiliates. Um, there are a lot of foreign affiliates now, a lot of countries. Yeah, it's about, about 113, I think, is where it's at right now, somewhere a little over 100 foreign affiliates. So we're doing such a bad job, other countries are looking to us for guidance and help. Ah, man. <laughs> so it's interesting. There's So there's different groups that become foreign affiliates that choose to affiliate with USPA, and they do it for different reasons, right? So some, some places, it might be a country where they don't have an association. They don't have a national association. So, you know, there's a country, they, they don't have a national, they don't have a USPA in their country. So they're looking to affiliate with ours, They'll get communication from us, up monthly updates on what's going on, rule changes. They can look at best practices. They can utilize our licensing programs, our um, instructor programs, and they just adopt it wholeheartedly. They say, look, USPA is the biggest one around. We're going to do it this way. We're going to use USPA-rated instructors. That's what we want to do. We, they just kind of adopt it wholeheartedly in their country, and that's a lot of the time how they, they may get approval through their country to be able to skydive they say yay we don't have a we don't have an aero club here but we're going to use the u.s version we're going to adopt all their rules we're just going to grab their books here's you know they take our sim and they say here we're using this book and and then the government agency can pick up the big book of rules and go oh wow look at all this this is great you guys got instructional programs and licenses perfect that's wonderful so sometimes that's what happens and in other other places it might be a country that has that does have a, a an aero club, but those places still may choose to affiliate with us because they want 
they they want that information flow coming from the U.S. because there's a lot more that goes on with our association than there are with some some smaller ones. So they still choose to affiliate even though they have their own, which is also fine. They can do that as well. You know, it's at their discretion. Um, in some cases, they have you know having that group member affiliate logo that they want to put on their website or on their paperwork that says, "Hey, we're we're affiliated here. We're 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 doing what we can, what we what we want to do, which is." Uh, do high quality, good, safe skydiving, and we're adopting these rules that come over from the U.S. because they're kind of the the biggest one around. So there's different reasons that 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 countries or drop zones may choose to affiliate with USPA in that way. One of the interesting things that I've seen over years, and this comes more from my examiner side, is we deal with a lot of non English speaking people. Mm-hmm. And the IRM and SIM have unofficially been translated to a few different languages just through various people in the community. And it's such a blessing that we have the Latin community putting it out there in Spanish. And I can't remember a fellow's name from Eastern Europe, but a a few other languages that are available out there. But really, they're just the best we can do. But recently, I think at this meeting, USP has voted to, the board's voted to get other versions out there? Yeah, so it came up at the board meeting. There was a bit of discussion on it, and the idea was there's a lot of people out there that have done translations. Um, it's been translated into Spanish, Portuguese, Chinese, a bunch of other, and there's probably trans, there's probably translations of our documents that, that we're not even aware of, right? People have just done it because that's, you know, they've used ours as guidance to create their own. So um at this board meeting we discussed the concept of having a section on our website where those resources could live right um we obviously make changes to our manuals twice a year at the board meetings um so it, it, it'll take a little bit of work and guidance is to to let people know when the last translation was done and are they all the updates in there or not but having that information available to folks in one lo- one centralized location on USPS website will make it that if somebody wants to learn to to skydive and you know maybe they don't speak English maybe they are maybe they speak Chinese or maybe they speak their native language is Spanish and they want they can consume that information better reading it in their native language well they can get that now on USPS website we'll have you know we'll have information obviously the official documents will still be the English version um, and we can put on there when the last uh, update was done on that translation and we'll do our best to try and keep them up to date best we can. But, um, hopefully having it be a better, having that USPA page be a better resource for those who want to skydive, no matter what their native language is. I can't remember the tab. It's on the left of the menu on the website that go takes you to downloads and whatnot. Yep. What's the name of that tab, Alex? Uh, discover. The, discover. Yeah, discover. Thank you. you beat me to it. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Nailed. I've been to that site a couple times. Once, yeah. once or twice. Yeah. I, I go to to it regularly. I, to this day, I keep a SIM and an IRM right next to my desk. I have them downloaded on my computer. I yeah. more often than not access it through that website, though. Yeah. It's just the quickest way for me to find it. Uh, if you guys need that access, just go to Discover, and you can see these different forms. One one of the things I love the most is, first of all, the IRM and SIM the link never changes anymore. I think you remember a year it always changed and you always had a broken link. Yeah. Thankfully the uh, the IT department got really smart about that, but the changes, the amendments to to the manuals are also there. They're very quick and easy to find. Yep. So every every board meeting there's a um, when they update those manuals, they produce a change document which has the changes from the last revision of the manual to the to the current revision and whatever changes have been made. So if you're like let's say you're an instructor 
and you want to know what recent changes have happened to the instructional rating manual, you don't have to pick up the manual and try and like thumb through 500 pages to find it. You pull up the change doc and in one page you can see all of the changes that were made at the last board meeting to the instructional rating manual. And some of it's just like they change. There's a couple word changes, you know, they, they change some stuff, housekeeping type stuff, which just changed some, some verbiage in there, but anything that changes any, any context of any of the content that's in there, you'll be able to find in that change document. You know, some, if there's some of it's big stuff, like, you know, when the, um, opening altitudes got increased, right? That's a big one. Like you don't want to miss that one. Um, but in some cases it's minor stuff that probably won't impact you as an instructor in your day to day. Nick, were you, uh, I don't, where, when, I can't remember when the opening altitudes were changed. It's been a while now. A couple of years ago, I think. It's been more than a couple, I think. I feel like it's probably five years ago or so that, well, that I, I remember, uh, overhearing from a fun jumper, 2,500 feet. And I, you know, I didn't hear that the, you know, I didn't hear through anything official that this had had changed, but someone was talking about uh, their D license and now twenty five hundred feet. And I think I had that, uh, you know, skydivers love to tell people that they're wrong. I had that uh, that feeling come up to to tell some. Oh no, it's the D license can to, can pull at two thousand feet. Luckily, I uh, looked it up before I put my foot in my mouth. <laughs> but I feel like it's yeah, probably five years. Would you say that's about right? Maybe. Yeah, I bet yeah, yeah, Alex so. is going to find it. When uh, when they changed the uh, minimum opening altitude from twenty five hundred to two th- or from two thousand back up to twenty five hundred. Yeah, I'm checking right now. I'm going through. Uh, One the of the sim. things that I find interesting about that though is when that when that BSR was changed and raised to twenty five hundred feet, the fight from the community, the pushback from the community, and the, and the voices I heard around the community were crazy. I mean, people were so against that. Where today, if you tell somebody you're going to pull at twenty five hundred feet, the average jumper looks at you and go, "Are you nuts? Why are you pulling that low?" And it's great to see how the community has evolved around these policies that, that USPA really had the foresight to, to change. What, what's your year? I want to I want to guess. What, oh man, because um, now now that I'm thinking about it more, I feel like the memory's older than I yeah than so I thought. Let's see, 2012 was the first tandem standardization meeting. 2013 was Daytona. Uh, it was I think it was prior to 2013 because I think it was prior to Daytona because uh, Daytona was 13 and 15. Um, does that sound, did, were you on the board when that, yeah, I was on the board when it happened. I remember all the discussion and I want to say 13, maybe, I don't know that it's that old. Yeah. I mean, it was a weird one cause it got bumped up. Everything got bumped up about 500 feet. Um, it's still waverable down by an S and TA. So if you're, and the idea was like, if you're doing a, a hop and pop and you got a big old accuracy canopy and everything's clear, there's nobody else around and you want to, you know, you want to do that, you can waver it or you're on a demo that has a hot, uh, you know, a cloud cloud layer at an altitude that makes you go a little bit lower and everything's somewhat controlled. Yeah. You can still go lower, but the truth is there's, there's very few people that are, that are down there at, at those levels when they're deploying on regular skydives. Personally, like the number I have to think about it to even remember it because I, I don't deploy my parachute that low. Never like no thanks. my, my, <laughs> my deployment sequ- sequence usually starts up at like four grand, you know, because if there's a malfunction and it's high speed, I, Altitude is your friend, right? So, you know, the idea of even deploying it, what, what is that minimum now is, is still way below anywhere near where I go. Yeah. I love how society has accepted a safer norm than we used to. Were you about to say? Uh, the, there are a lot of shows where we spend like almost the whole show unpacking what got a person into skydiving and what they're, what they're about in skydiving. Just uh, 
just so the people I want to know even more as a skydiver. I want to know who's in there making those rules. What, what's a fun skydive for you? For me? Yeah, like what's your discipline? What do you, what, what wow, jumps are you all about? Man, if we're if we're gonna go do a skydive right now and it's the funnest thing you can imagine, what does it look like? It's changed. It's changed. It's been all over the place for me. Like so, I mean, I started out and I I got into free flying for a little while, and uh, and then I really got passionate about canopy piloting, right? So go back to early two thousands. I got into four way video actually. So I had a big old I had a Hawkeye helmet with a big old oh. TRV camera this big tube looking thing on top of my head that weighed a weighed a whole bunch of and uh i got into doing four-way video and for me that was a a a free way to fly my parachute you know because i wanted i really enjoyed flying canopies and then i got into i got more into swooping and you know most of my jumps were all hop and pops and i still kept doing video i'd do big way videos stuff like that and i got really into canopy piloting i did some crew i did a little bit of classic accuracy and um and now i um i still do a lot of canopy piloting that's probably primarily what i do but i went out last year and i i got a um an rw suit again mm-hmm. right and uh i've i've started to kind of want to get more back into that for some of the social social aspects of that and uh i mean for the last 10 years I would probably do, I would do about one free fall jump a year to go free flying because people would grab me at a boogie and they'd go, hey, why don't you come free fly with us? And I'd go, um, okay, well, it's been a little while, about a year. And uh, <laughs> and I would go out on a jump and I can, you know, it's like I can tell you when the last one was. I think it was July 4th boogie two years ago at Cross Keys, like uh, Matt Leonard and, uh, and, and Katie, uh, Lajeunesse grabbed me and uh, and a bunch of the organizers were like, hey, let's go free fly. And I was like, okay, let's see how this goes. And I get out and I'm kind of wobbling all over the place. And it takes me about half the skydive just to get like steady again. And, and next thing you know, I'm like, I'm like, okay, 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 flip over. Okay, okay, I'm still moving and we're taking some grips. And, and we land and they're like, that was awesome. I was like, yeah, it was kind of shaky. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for flying around me and making <laughs> Thanks it work. Thanks for flying around me and making me look good. <laughs> Hey, that's what friends are for, right? Yeah, it was a lot of fun, you know. Um, I think the tummy flying makes it easy. Uh, tummy flying, tummy, tummy flying, yes, dude. You know, uh, Richo Butts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He tummy flying. He brought the word to the show one day and kind of been stuck in our brains. Yeah. Um, it, it's it's the easy one to get back to. It's it's where we have probably most of our honed skills at, and it's it's easy to revert back to and yeah. And those slower speeds, you don't screw up as dramatically. The chances of corking on your tummy is not that high. <laughs> yeah. um, I, my wife, on the other hand, could cork on her tummy. If you've seen her build, you know why. Um, I do want to go back to that sim conversation, though, because one of the most interesting things to come out of uh, some of these board meetings in the last couple meetings for me is, uh, is going out there and getting a new version of the sim out there. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, today's sim is very difficult to read for the average person. Um, I, I, I personally don't have a hard time reading it, but I've also been in the same way too much in my life. Um, but what is going on with a potential new version? Yeah. So we started, and this started last year where we, we've, and it's always kind of been there. And one of the things that came out through some of the, um, standardization meetings was talking about, you know, our, our documentation and our manuals, the SIM and the IRM, they're written very much in a, they're in a rule format, right? So as you go through them, and some of the things need to be in a rule format, like BSRs, 
they should be rules, right? They're numbered. They're rules. Those are the rules. Those are the things you're supposed to be doing. But some of the sections in the ma- in the manuals are they're they're written like rules. They're bullet pointed. They're they're chunk 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 chunk. But they're the learning sections of the of the manuals, and those there is a, a much better way to learn than reading a list of bullet pointed items, right? There's there's better ways to learn than that. Period, and and we haven't evolved the, some of those manuals into those better ways of learning. So the idea was let's let's try and do that, and it's a massive undertaking, right? So to take something that's a list and turn it into a into more of a conversational piece that allows people to learn better is a, it's a pretty big project to do. So, uh, last year the board approved the concept of going out and finding someone or some group or some company to, to assist us with that. Who's, who has a a base of knowledge on that, on that type of work, because while we could probably do it, with the staff and, and with some volunteer help from the community and, and skydiving, it's a lot of work, right? So there's a lot of other things that the staff has to do along with, with that. So, but we want to get it done and we want to get it done right, right? We don't want to fumble through it and, and screw it up. So the, I, the, the concept was to create an RFP for, for getting someone to help assist us with that project. And we did that and we got a handful of bids. And uh, at this meeting, we brought two of them basically the the best two that that we had found and those two companies uh came to the board and and did a presentation to the um to the safety and training committee on on what they did and what they would offer and how they would go about doing it and we obviously had it um in writing right we had proposals from them you know what would they do what their company is how much they would charge the organization to do this type of work and uh but we had them uh, show up and they came via Zoom. They each presented via Zoom, and uh, the the board learned a lot about them and what they do and how they do it. and And uh, there's a path forward to where Ron and and staff now is going to take that project to the next level, and figure out which which way we want to go, and hopefully get it done in the next few months. So our our sim, we're going to start with the sim. There will be the sections that are still rule based, but then they'll get a little bit of a facelift. And then the sections that are more learning sections are going to be written like learning sections, more like section four or five. Yep, exactly. More like a, more like a, more like a textbook where you would learn from a learning book. (laughs) I would, if you're, if any, uh, a lot of our listeners are space land jumpers as well, but if if you are familiar with space land student manual, I I would see it look more like that. The, where you have that outline in the beginning, you have section two, which is a BSR section three, which has stuff like, guidance for logging and I forget what else, uh, license qualifications, license listings. That seems to make sense in the outline format. I think that's section three, but four is the ISP, the integrated student program and, and the manual Christy West uh, was a big part of our manual at Spaceland and it's a much easier read. It's, it's much easier and, and people can go home and learn from it. I can read section four and teach from it. No problem but I want my student to go home and read section four and be able to understand what they're saying and not, not fall asleep while doing it. Exactly. Yeah. By the way, RFP request for proposal, yep. Uh, yep. in case somebody missed that. Sorry about that. Oh, no worries, man. <laughs> no worries. Uh, back to like Nick said, we use so many acronyms, your RSL, your BOC, your yeah. whatever else. Can't think of AADs. Mm-hmm. You, you okay, Alex? Yeah, I'm good. I'm okay. S- I'm still looking for uh 
for what we were talking about earlier when they waived the uh, the pull altitude. But then I got lost on this website because there was so much information on here. It's crazy. Like just with all the meetings and just all of the information, I've never really gone this in depth to the website before. It's pretty impressive. All the minutes for a long time are on that yeah. website. Yeah, you can go back and find it. Wild. Yeah. It's, yeah. A, it's a pretty big resource and there's a lot of stuff there. And that's another mm-hmm. thing that we're that, that we're working on right now is is that um, that website's going to get a pretty big facelift this year. So um, while you're going through it now, later on this year, uh, the way that looks and the way it's all organized is going to be completely overhauled, right? So it's, that's the whole website. Yep, including the uh, back end process of renewals and yeah. So there's two parts to that, and one is the is kind of the front end that that all the members will see, which is how everything is organized on there and how you navigate through the website, which is, you know, it's a pretty common thing for any organization that has a website to do periodically is you go, okay, we're going to, we're going to take all this and we're going to look at, you know, where do people go on this website? What pages do they visit? What documents do they grab? What do they search for? Uh, which are the most visited pages, which are the ones that aren't visited? Um, either because people can't find them or because they just don't care about that page. And you reorganize stuff. You you throw some you throw some of the garbage out, and you reorganize all of it. So that's the kind of the front end. Um, and then the back end of things is also going to change quite a bit as well. So we're going to go through this year a, a bit of a um, a database change on the the way all of our stuff on the back side of things is all handled, um, and the way we store data, where it's stored, how it's stored, and kind of the building blocks of the front end of what people see and the way you interact with the page. So that um, should make things a whole heck of a lot better for everybody using the page. The way it is now has, has kind of gone over years and it's kind of some stuff built on top of some other stuff. And when you get to that, sometimes start things start can start getting a little bit clunky. So we're kind of wiping the slate clean on a lot of that. And we're going to start with a fresh base and build it all up. And it's going to be a custom setup that's going to be exactly what we need for what we need to do and how we need to do it set up for our organization and what we need to offer to our members. Right. And just that to give people an example of some of the things I deal with is if you want to attend a coach course or an AFF course, you have to assist in a complete first jump course. You have to, to assist in training students or things you have to do. And you have a signed on a proficiency card. You take it to your examiner. All these things happen. And, and that system has worked, but it's it's a hard paper trail sometimes to find. Where now today, a member can go to an instructor. Hey, Albert, you just taught this class. I just assisted with you. Would you sign off on me having assist for my rating? And I can log into my account, click on what I need, and, and give Albert access to where he can now click off. Yes, I verify that DJ Marvin did this. As an examiner, I look at your rating card and I can't tell whose signature that is on there. And sometimes I can't, some people don't even put license numbers or anything. So is this really signed off properly where now the process is? We, we were for sure, sure that it is because only the right people can check off those boxes on the website. And I think that's where you refer to some of the clunkiness comes in because we have multiple systems that now have converged together. For example, to sign off on a rating renewal takes several clicks and, and, and go-throughs to get it done. And yes, it, it, it's challenging the first time you do it, but do it once or twice, and I think you guys would get the hang of it, and it makes it yep. very easy. 
I love the fact that I can have friends get a hold of me, uh, other countries, other places, or just even locally. Hey, DJ, I need to renew my rating. I'm not going to be the DZ this weekend. Can you help me out? Sure, man. Let's just sign into your USB account. Let me click on a few things. Hey, I need to see uh, proof of this. Awesome. And it moves. So it, the system is clunky is absolutely the right word, but the system is wonderful. And I can't wait to see that new integration and that new process. It, yeah, so much more, so much more of the that interaction, whether it be a, a renewal, whether it be a license application, whether it be signing off on things. So many more people. Obviously, people are doing more stuff online, right? They don't want to fill out paper forms anymore. Most people have moved away from that stuff. So the ability to offer a good user interface that's easy and intuitive to use and cuts out all the paper is it, just it's where everything in the world is going. And we've moved so much stuff at USPA off of paper and into electronic world. And it's it's what the members want. It makes things easy. It's easy, instant access, right? It used to take sometimes, I mean, it wasn't that long ago where you would send a, an application or, or a license form or something into USPA and you'd wait like a month for, for USPA to process that piece of paperwork or you probably know there's a you can expedite for twenty bucks, right? So for you could throw an extra twenty dollars at it, and you, your piece of paper would go to the top of the pile of pieces of paper, right? So instead <laughs> of waiting for four weeks, you could have it right away. And the truth is, that's that's almost gone away, right? So and we used to have the organization used to have seven or eight people working in membership services, dealing with all that paperwork. Well, now the majority of our members they renew their licenses online, so it's instant, right? You don't have to wait five weeks. You can cl click on the website and do your membership renewal online. You can do all your ratings and stuff like that online. right? You don't have to wait for somebody to do paperwork. Right? You can do it all online, and it's instant. right? So now the processing times for the for the people who who still do paper because either maybe they don't know how to, they can't figure the website out, or they've got a special situation that the website can't take care of, right? So they need some human assistance, somebody to step in and help. right? So those... Those are taking a couple days, day or two, instead of those people having to, instead of everyone having to wait four or five weeks. Now there's a handful of people that have to wait two or three days, right? So, how many people like there's nobody, you know, the the expedite fees that used to be twenty bucks and and the organization used to have this pile of money that came in from expedite fees. There's nothing there now, right? Nobody pays them anymore because they don't have to. Why would you pay an expedite fee when you can go online and do it for yourself? And it's instant. It's faster than anybody could do a piece of could could even possibly do the paper and it doesn't cost you anymore. I know as an examiner, I love it because I hate paperwork yeah. and the number of signatures I have to put on a rating proficiency card, for example, on tandem instructors, it's ridiculous. And now it's simply click, click. And I know how to click a mouse. That thing yep. I can get covered. So I, I really like the system. If you guys and gals out there as instructors, as examiners are having a problem with the system, try it. First of all, there are great tutorial videos out there that really do help. And just go through the process a couple times. Number one, I think you'll really learn how to use it. Number two, when you do find real problems with it, address it. Hit up Jen Sharp. She's still in charge of IT, right? Yep. Uh, hit up uh, Ron Bell because he will help get that voice. Hit up any of these USPA folks. And that's how these changes are made. They are very open to our problems. They really want it and, and rely to a point on us giving them that feedback. I think if Jen did this by herself and only by herself, she would be trapped in a circle that she couldn't see outside of. Thankfully, she has so many outside sources helping her and guiding her along. It keeps her vision more clear. So use it and, and, and abuse it. 
Yeah, I mean, everybody who works at USPA staff, it's it's they're all doing it in support of the USPA member. I mean, if 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 Jen's having a conversation with me or somebody else on staff, and her phone rings, and it's a USPA member that needs help, she hangs up on us. Right? She's like, "Gotta go." There's a member calling. There, like the member comes first, right? That's who's got to get taken care of. And uh, Ron's the same way. Ron, a lot of the a lot of the changes that are in, coming into place are coming out of the standardization meetings that have happened, right? The people's comments and suggestions and uh, productive and constructive feedback that they've given to the organization. It's now being implemented, right? So they're going to, they're going to see that stuff. And um, those have been great. There were seven of them last year. Five of them were all online. Two of them, only two of those standardization meetings were in person. Um, so everybody apparently really dug the the online version of that. They didn't have to go fly somewhere to go to one of those things. And um, so there's going to be probably a lot more of that in the future too. I was, I, I was, and I, I really do mean the word was, uh, one of the larger critics uh, of the online standardization meeting. I am one of the people who were very doubtful of that process and really wasn't for that process. In part, in a large part, because the collection of minds together in one room, I think is going to be more powerful. I think we're going to be more in tune and we're going to be better at it. Um, I said I was. I did my meeting this year online. It was just convenient for me. It worked out best, partially because uh, uh, all the changes with PIA happening and not being able to go to it then. I, I went online and what I found amazing is the number of people who won't speak up at a board at a standardization meeting now had a place to speak up. They wouldn't necessarily speak up on camera. They wouldn't necessarily raise their hand there, but they would send messages to the entire group, kind of like the lobby. Um, I don't think the lobby has a chat open anymore on the board meetings. Um, I think the first time it did and, we said funny things and you guys got mad at me. <laughs> well, I don't think it was me. But. Well, there's no way anybody in the in the room could interact with you. So Yeah, no, they couldn't. But it was neat to see all these other people who I don't think ever would say a word start typing in the group together and start talking in the group together. And then one or two of the leaders would actually bring up the voice. Ron would say, oh, I see this person said something. Um, th- there was a couple people who would, who would talk about it. And it's really nice to have that ability to, to give those people a voice who wouldn't otherwise speak up. And I think the system worked really well with the online meeting. And it, it was yeah. really hard for me to accept that when I saw it. I was like, man, this is pretty good. Yeah, we did the same for the general membership meeting that at this week was on Saturday night. So we did the general membership meeting. There were a bunch of local jumpers that came out for that. And uh, we, we put that up on the Zoom as well so people could all see that. And and uh, we did a, a little presentation with you know, some, some numbers and, and information about the organization, what all the different departments are working on right now, what they accomplished last year, uh, what we're heading into next year. And then uh, then afterwards, we actually had a little party, too. We went over to the local bar, Sam's Boat, if you've ever been there. I have. It's uh, real quick. How many members showed up to the members meeting? So it wasn't as big. So the Texas meetings are an interesting one, right? So <laughs> um, there's been two other ones in Texas and there was San Antonio and there was Dallas and they were both a little bit over a hundred people that came to the general membership meeting. And this time I think there it was around 30, which still, I don't which still is bigger. Yeah. I think the general membership meeting is lucky to hit 10 outside of PIA versions. Yeah. So, and if you guys hear me say that uh, PIA symposium uh, is every two years, basically our industry trade show 
and USPA uh, board of directors actually adjust their meeting every two years to coincide with that, which yep. it, it makes a lot of sense. And because, uh, A, it helps all the board members travel to a place they all need to be commonly anyways, but also there's the most access to members. I happen to be going to PIA. That's why I attended my first board meeting. Hey, I'm a PIA. Eh, fuck it. I, I might as well go to this board meeting and mm-hmm. see what it's all about. Um, it, it's amazing to see it. And I ask how many people show up because I love Texas jumpers, man. The pride that Texas has in what we do, the community, man, don't mess with Texas. They, they, they love it. And, and they do show up in force, man. I would love to, I would love to have a general membership meeting that had a larger number of members at it really. So, I mean, there's 42,000 USPA members in the United States. It's a big country, but, um, I mean, for perspective like last month i went to the uh, british skydiving annual general meeting they do theirs once a year it's in the winter it's in january so it's it's super cold in uh in the uk in january obviously but they do their annual general meeting it's in nottingham which is kind of centrally located in the uk and it's a big party right so it's it's they have friday they have they have uh their dzo conference they have a riggers forum they have a tandem instructor day there. And then Saturday, it's a full day, right? They have an expo hall. They have some seminars that go on. And then an hour and a half of that, they have their general meeting. They have this huge stadium room. And they've got about 500 people that show up to it. And they have about 4,000 members. Wow. So they get a little over 10% of their membership that shows up to this day. And isn't that a quorum, 10%? Um, I guess it would be. I don't know what the I don't know what the British rules are. I mean, for us though, for us it's ten percent. Yeah. So for us, ten percent would be about four thousand people, right? But we've never seen anywhere close to that show up at a general membership meeting. But I think it would be cool to have a larger number if there was a way. And it's it's one of these things that kind of runs around in my head is how can we make a general membership meeting that we could get wow two hundred three hundred five hundred a thousand members to show up to have Bruno Mars headline it. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say open bar in Las Vegas. <laughs> well, the next uh, PIA in, is it February coming up or is it March? Is it's it February. Reno? Yeah, February 2023 okay. in Reno. Yeah. And uh, the Little the, Vegas. the USPA board made the decision this past weekend to co-locate again with that. It's, uh, man, guys, you've got to go. It, it's, it really is a great time to see what's happening with your governing body, to see what's going on, to make your voice heard. It's always neat to, to see for, for what people say sometimes. Sometimes I go just purely for the entertainment factor, um, <laughs> but I normally go for the educational factor. I, I want to back up to that sim for one more second because one of the biggest critiques I hear of USPA is the over-governing of our community. I don't believe in that, but I do hear that. Alex, the sim is about this thick. Does anybody know how many pages the sim is? God, I bet you do. No, I don't. That's why I'm asking. <laughs> yeah, I could tell you what page number things are on. That's about it. Um, Alex, how many pay, How much of that sim are actual regulation? Minus section nine. I think section nine is the FARS. Uh, nine section nine is FAA documents. So you're looking yeah, yeah. for uh, what you're looking for regulation. I'm, again? I'm asking your guess to how many pages. How much of that book is actually regulation minus section nine? Honestly, I'm not sure. I Take a guess. Put a guess. Three? Is it three pages? Or is that up to four now? Two two or three? Really? Yeah, section... That's a lot different number than I thought you were going to say. Yeah, most definitely. I would have. Yeah, and I really think it's important that people understand that. USPA isn't about making all these rules. is isn't about making all these regulations. As a matter of fact, when a problem comes up, 
they do their best to start with education. How can we inform the community? How can we get the community to do better? And I've heard so many board members say, if we make it another BSR, it's just going to take away any power and make all the other BSRs meaningless. Yeah. So if you think USPA is really out there over-governing you, that couple hundred page manual only has two, yeah, three pages. Couple page, a couple pages of actual reg- things that are USPA regulations. There's a lot of FAA regulations as well that we have to follow, but... Yeah, only a couple. And and like you said, every time somebody brings up the idea of a new BSR, somebody in the room goes, "Do we really need a BSR to do that? Should it should it be a regulation or just should it just be a recommendation?" You know, and so it, it's it doesn't really rise to the level that we need a, a rule on that. I think a good example of that is one that just happened. People were talking about uh, having a BSR for reconnecting tandem lowers to the instructor. And the board, I believe, voted not to do that. It just, it's going to be, I think, clarified better in the IRM. Yeah. Um, and I think there's a lot of confusion in the industry to what is right or wrong and what UPT recommends or, or guides, because uh, UPT does guide us to put them back to ourselves. But there was a place where USPA said, we don't need to make that a rule. That, let, let that take care of itself. Yeah, so for as much stuff that comes out of the board meeting that, that the board passes motions on or adds or changes guidance or or creates something or does something, there's probably as many or or more things that they either take no action on, they table till the next meeting, or they just say, no, we're not going to do that. <laughs> so one of the ones I get really curious, I'm sorry, I'm flipping through notes here. There's pages. I'm, I'm actually happy that you're getting to those notes because I... Well, I've actually been using these notes more than you realize. Okay, good. Yeah, a few of those topics. I think you recognize the ones that are coming by. Uh, one of the ones is actually from Safety and Training Agenda, topic 28, and it's discussing a wing loading maximum for students. So first of all, to be clear to people, if you don't have a license, you're a student. It doesn't mean level one. It doesn't mean 24 jumps. Anything without a license, technically, you're a student. So whether you're a first jump student, somebody in the coaching level of students, or whether you're still not licensed, those are all students. Fair statement? Yeah. Okay. And uh, uh, the board discussed, or or at least were to discuss, the wing loading maximum recommendations for students. Um, I'm not shocked that this agenda was on the topic because Ron Bell called me one day and said, hey, DJ, what do you think about wing loadings for students? Where would you try to end them and what's going on? Um, Consider adding to sim section five blah, blah numbers, student uh, 0.8 pounds per square foot maximum. So a 0.8 wing loading maximum. Do you know what happened with that topic? Yeah, I I wasn't in the room on the discussion on that one. I think I was across the hall in competition, but it went through, it passed. Um, So that is gonna be added. Uh, it's not. They did not add it as a requirement. They did not add it as a BSR. It is a recommendation. Um, but they felt it was important to put put some guidance in there and give give uh, the community some uh, some guidance in that area. So so those who don't know or don't have any knowledge of where to go in that area, there's there's something there for them now, and they can they can look at it and make a decision on whether or not they think that's appropriate for for their students or, or their location or their conditions or whatever else it might go into that decision, but at least it gives them a starting point and some guidance on it. It's a topic I struggle on a little bit just because, first of all, if we downsize jumpers too quickly, they're going to be in the attitude of downsizing and they're going to continue to downsize in a place and a point they shouldn't be in their first 50 jumps. And I think that really holding them to a light and appropriate wing loading helps curb that problem. But at the same time, I like seeing uh, and I if I can safely put a student, I say a student, a graduate, somebody getting their A license at a 1.0 wing loading, if I can safely put them there, and that is not everybody. 
there are some people who need to stay at point eight, maybe the rest of their life, but it, it gets them on a canopy. It gets them in a place under guidance, under supervision where they're likely to purchase their first canopy and allow them to be in a place where they're going to be good for a while. I also like the idea of downsizing students under supervision because we give them guidelines to why and how. I won't share too much of Spaceland's numbers or procedures, but we do have policies set in place. These are guidelines. We don't have, uh, we, we do the same as USPA. Spaceland doesn't have a lot of rules or regulations. It's too much to have to deal with, but they're guidelines and ideas. That way you're free to use them when you need to. If a student lands accurately within such a distance, within so many jumps, with stand-up landings, they could be considered for a downsize. And we discuss with our students why and how that decision was made. And each step and each choice that's made in their downsizing prog- uh, progression is an education process, or is supposed to be. Not every instructor is perfect. Some do great, some eh, exist, but I, I love the idea to, to be able to. So if you're a school out there and you see this and you hear this, it's a recommendation. It's not necessarily a guideline, and I think the recommendation is great because a lot of schools don't have that access to some of that different knowledge. A lot of schools are just smaller mom-and-pop organizations who are just happy to keep their students jumping and happy to get a place. Not everybody can afford a fleet of 30 student rigs. Is that how many mm. student rigs your drop zone has, Nick? Gosh, we had 30 tandem rigs for a long time. Now it's, uh, I think that number is closer to 20 student rigs. Man, Alex, you might know the answer Yeah, you to were that. a packer. Yeah, we're, uh, I would say somewhere in between 20 or 25. I know like some come and go and go to other drop zones, but that would be a pretty safe bet between yeah. 20 and 25 student rigs and then what, around 20 or so. 20 tandems, tandem rigs. Around 20 to 25 as well. So a I'm, lot. It's a lot of rigs. So sure. Lot. And I got a little confused and, and really in, in reading this the first time, I completely misread it because I read it thinking this was going to be a, uh, a, a proposed BSR. And if you just look, uh, Sim Section 5-3 tells me right away it's not a BSR, it's a recommendation. Yeah, so they discussed, they discussed the option of, of either or. You yeah. know, they did say, well, hey, you know, because that's obviously part of what they'll do is they'll say, well, is this, the right, is this the right number? Is this the right location? Should it be a BSR? Should it not? And uh, they definitely settled on it not being one. I have some other things I definitely want to uh, poke at here and there, but you and I in uh, in the world of skydiving lived in two very different sides. We both were very connected to the other side, but I'm a safety and training guy. You're a competition guy. What else happened in this meeting? Uh, first of all, Kurt Werner was our ISC delegate for a while now. He was, like forever. Yeah, yeah. I've, <laughs> I've heard you guys say ISC a couple of times. That's the International Skydiving uh, Commission. Okay. And who's taking that? Role so now. that role is now uh, Jim Reese. Okay. So Jim Reese has stepped into the ISC delegate role. He's also now the chair of the competition committee. So that was previously Kirk Verner. So Jim Reese has now stepped into that role. So this was his first meeting uh, in that role, and I think he did a he did a great job. Um, there were definitely some some cool things that happened in competition at this one. The twenty twenty three USPA Nationals is going to be in Paraclete. So in North Carolina, they won the bid for that. And from competitors, I've heard some of the highest praises of how Paraclete has conducted their nationals. Yeah, well, I mean, Kirk, Kirk, Kirk is the manager there at the drop zone, and without a doubt, he is a he is a competitor. So he's running a nationals, um, but it's a it's a competitor's nationals. You know, he is he he gets it. He knows what it's like to be a competitor, and he's gonna run he's gonna run the meet that he wants. To compete at, so it's gonna it's gonna be centered around what the what the competitor, what the athlete wants, and what they need to to have their best performance. So 
that's pretty cool. We'll be going back there again. What else came out from comp? Um, the collegiates will be at uh, Elsinore again. So they they actually held their first collegiate uh, nationals this past year, and they did a great job. You know, they had an awesome time doing it, and they ran a a, a pretty awesome collegiate. So um, they bid they bid on it again, and they they won that. So that's pretty cool. There was a um, a decision to so the idea came up of maybe hosting the. ISC, the International Skydiving Commission, they have a, a plenary meeting. So they have like their board meeting once a year. It's in January. Um, and it's been a really long time since it's been in the United States. So the board has made the decision that they'd like us to look at um, maybe bringing that meeting back to the U.S. So it's it's 100 different countries. Every country has a delegate. And those delegates get together once a year for a meeting. And they make decisions for the international body. So we're going to put together, this year we're going to work on putting together a bid to have that meeting in the United States again. So it's been a really long time since that's occurred. And I don't, I want to say 2000, it was 2005 or 2006. It was in San Diego. So we're going to put together a bid to see if we can maybe bring that back to the U.S. What would the advantage of having it here be? Well, it's, I mean, it's a huge event, right? So it's, it's, uh, it is, it's the people that make decisions on the international. Uh, what are the rules for World Cups, World Championships? So having that here, I mean, the U.S. is a very influential um, country in that international scene, right? We, you know, how many times do you see the U.S. bringing back medals from those World Championships, right? America. It's a lot, right? So we're a fighting force in that community, right? So. That's the that's where the decisions are made about the rules, about the judging, about how things go, where stuff's headed. So having that here in our country, you know, kind of puts us where you know it's it it puts us where we belong. You know, we're we're one of the big countries involved in that decision making process. So having that here, um, it also gets all those folks to come here and see. The, some of them have been to the U.S. before. Some of those folks maybe haven't, but um, it really keeps us keeps us relevant keeps us at the top of that community i think it's important that we are there one thing that i know came out of comp um and i believe this came out competition but if any team sets a international record at a uspa Mm -hmm. national uspa will now pay for their application fee for that record is that yep yeah, so that's a that's a change that happened this time around. Um, so now, if you set a if you set a world or continental record uh, at a U.S. Nationals, USPA will cover the cover the um, the fees associated with that. So there's there's fees that they're they're not they're not cheap for our athletes that they have to pay if they set a a world or continental record. That money goes to the FAI. Uh, it's kind of passed through USP to the FAI to file those records, and uh, it's pretty huge when we have an athlete that sets a world record and they do it at our nationals. Right. So that's, that's a pretty awesome thing. So, um, the board made a decision that, that as an organization will cover the costs associated with that. And, and we hope that relieves the, the financial burden at least, uh, on those, those athletes a little bit, right. Cause they obviously, 
they obviously busted their asses and they worked pretty hard to, to be able to set a world record. Wait, you so. mean the uh, professional skydivers aren't ranking in the money? Is that what you're telling <laughs> me? <laughs> we all rich. Yeah, they make a lot. They make a lot. Just keep practicing. You'll get there. All right. Good. <laughs> good. One of these days can't, it's coming. Can't let that dream die now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Man, it's... Uh, yeah, we make a lot of money. Man, it's a broke industry. That's why we're all in it, right? It's the money. We're not passionate about this at all, right? <laughs> no, man. <laughs> That's one thing that blows my mind is I think almost everybody I know, or at least the majority of us who got into the sport professionally, got into it for a passion of skydiving. We realized the money, the finances are going to be limited. But how quickly those people change their mind and get too worried about the money and forget that passion. And I hope if you're out there listening to this, you can remember what drove you into the sport. I, I've been in that burnout point. I've been at that point where I, would watch, I was watching money and watching dollars. I've gotten to that dissatisfied point, and, and thankfully, I've been surrounded by wonderful human beings and wonderful people who could remind me, why are you really here? What is this really about? I'm also blessed to have a wife who supports me. So marry up, guys. For <laughs> sure, marry up. I mean, I remember years. I mean, I had a, I had a job. I wore a suit and tie every day. Uh, I lived in I lived in Manhattan and I had a great job and I remember I called my dad up and I said, "Dad, I'm going to I'm going to quit my job and I need the family trailer. We had a travel trailer <laughs> from when I was a child, right? That they drove around and it had sat in the backyard of of uh their house and it didn't get used for like 15 years, right? And I'm like, "Hey, can I have that?" And they're like, "What do you want that for?" I'm like, "I'm going to take it to the drop zone and I'm going to live in it." And like my dad was like, he, he su- most supportive man ever, always supported me in everything I did. But I, I, I knew there was this level of disappointment. Like you're going to throw away, you, you've made it. Like you're living in New York City, you, you've got a great job and you're going to quit it and go live in the family trailer in the, in the woods at an airport so you can jump out of planes, right? <laughs> but they obviously, they supported everything I did. You know, because that's what I wanted to do. That's what I was passionate about. And I said, I don't want to do that other stuff anymore. I want to, I want to be in skydiving. I want to jump. Right? I'll make it work. I'll figure it out. I really wonder where the the trailer culture began. Like the tra- like it, it, m- most big drop zones now come with a trailer park. And I just I have no idea where that started. Like what what's the what's the oldest big drop zone you can think of? Elsinore, Orange, those two. I mean, they argued at some point over which one's the longest standing commercial drop zone, if I remember which two they were. Um, man, yeah. I get that, like, skydiving, is, it doesn't afford a very luxurious lifestyle, so maybe mm-hmm. that's just something that's that's evolved organically. Maybe, yeah. But I, I just feel like somewhere must have started this. So, like, oh, yeah, we got all these poor people living out back in <laughs> we these We got to do something with them. And, man, they buy a bunch of jump tickets, and someone else is like, oh, trailers, huh? That's how you get <laughs> No, you that think wasn't it, the poor people. That was the people that had money because everybody else was in a tent. Yeah, yeah <laughs> definitely. No, as someone who moved to Spaceland and lived in a tent and just figured it out from there, I can definitely attest to like, yeah, dude. trailer is like big time. The tent is where <laughs> where you go when you really don't have any money. <laughs> yeah, you went tent, tent van house, right? That was your... Tent van house. Yeah, I'm moving up in the world. Yeah, I've, been, uh, I've been living in a house for a while now. But Professional I, skydiver, you got the money. Go. There we go. Yeah, exactly. But I think uh, to touch on, on what you were talking about earlier, I, maybe it has something to do with drop zones being in the middle of nowhere too and maybe there's not a lot of housing options and then that couple that with like not the raking in the money exactly and you just kind of get a bunch of people in in the middle of nowhere living in tents or trailers or whatever it takes just to like be at your favorite place because that that's what it was for me it's like man i just don't want to be 
off the drop zone and like, yeah, they let me set up a tent here. Sweet. I'm just going to hang out. <laughs> you know, I've always attributed it to the fact that we're gypsies. We're nomads. Skydivers yeah. have always been travelers. We want to see the world. We want to skydive all around. Ironically, we go work at one drop zone and never leave it sometimes. Yeah, I think most of those trailers don't move anymore. <laughs> they only move yeah. when they rock in the wind and that's about yeah. it. Man, we will run out of time soon and there's a couple questions I want to hit on and talk about. Anything okay. else out of comp that, that is interesting? Man, you've got a list. Nothing off the top of my head. I'd have to pull out I'd have to pull out a list. There was just so much stuff that I mean, there's so many things that go on at the meeting. Yeah. A lot of these uh, agendas, guys and gals, are, are a quarter of a page to half a page, but safety and training and competition or comp are usually two pages plus of, of notes. So the things that I'm super curious about is number one, discussing term limits of board members. Did the, how did that how did that go? How did that conversation? So term limits, it comes up. It comes up from time to time, and they've discussed the idea of term limits, and they've discussed the idea of the way we elect the board, because um, a lot of places, a lot of organizations will have like rolling elections where you don't like. We currently have an election for all twenty-two seats on our board, and we do it all at once, right? So the, in theory, you could have one year, you could have these twenty-two people. And then you do an election, and the next year you have 22 completely different people, right? That could, in theory, could happen. Does it? Has it ever? No, it hasn't. I mean, typically you see three, four, five. I think we looked back a few years, the the biggest change was, was six people switched on the board. So, um, And the idea of switching all 22 people is you would lose your entire history, right? Everybody would show up on the first day at the board, and they'd have no idea how to run the meeting. They wouldn't know anything about Robert's rules. They wouldn't know anything about our governance manual. They wouldn't know how the committees work, right? They wouldn't know, they wouldn't know anything. Um, and that would be a problem because they wouldn't be able to get anything done. Um, the rolling elections means like every two years you change X number of people. And that way you only, in theory, you'd never have that opportunity that 22 people could move. But that's not really a problem for us because it, it hasn't actually happened. Um, the term limits have come up a number of times as well, but they've never really gone anywhere. Um, I think part of the reason behind that, I mean, and there's different reasons as to why it didn't go through, but uh, one of the challenges is a lot of the regional seats um, sit, uh, and when the elections come up, the people run unopposed, right? So I think there was only one, maybe two regions this this past election that had more than one person put their name in the hat. So that means either... The people in that region are happy with their regional director or nobody else is interested or knows what it's about and or either they don't want to put the time in or they just don't know how the election works and they don't put their name in. So if there were term limits in some of those places and that person had to had to step down because of a term limit, there would be no one there to put their name in next. So then how would that get fit? How, how would that seat get filled? Well, who knows, you know, somebody might decide to run a write-in campaign. Um, you might have a region that Mickey Mouse wins because that's the guy that got the most votes. Um, hard to say, right? So uh, some of the folks that have been on the board for a long time do bring a good level of value because they, they've been around a while. They bring the historical perspective. Um, and even within our board on the executive committee, we have uh, the chairman of the board, person who's on there which is considered kind of like the old wise man on the board the person that the board elects <laughs> to that seat is somebody who's probably been on the board for an extended period of time and is expected to bring the historical perspective to the executive committee when they're when they're talking about stuff maybe 
um, between sessions. I giggle just because you say that. And I think of Randy Allison, super good guy, nothing against Randy at all, but <laughs> you say old wise man. And I picture Randy Allison and I just giggle. You'll, you'll have to forgive me. I know that you guys, you guys know way more about this, all of the board stuff than I do. And I'm sure more than, more than listeners. My said the, all of the board positions, they're all unpaid positions, right? Correct. Yeah. They're all volunteer positions. So everybody who's on the board, uh, they, they're volunteering their time to do this. They're USPA members, just like you, just like myself, just like anybody, any of the 42,000 people. And they've just stepped up to volunteer their time to work uh, on behalf of the organization for the nonprofit organization. Other than being a USPA member, are there any requirements for someone who's interested in being on the board? You have to be a uh, current member, and I believe you have to have been a member for at least two years. Um, there's no license requirement. You don't have to have any ratings. Member and good member for two years, uh, and I believe you have to be 18 years of age. It's uh, so many people complain about their regional director or about USPA. We've said it before. I'll, I'll encourage you go to attend these meetings. Now it's easy. You don't have to wait till they're, you're in your town. You don't have to wait till there's someplace convenient for you because the internet is probably convenient for you and watch and, and attend these meetings. And if you are thinking about running for these positions, attend the meeting so you know exactly what you're getting yourself into. Because once you attend these meetings, you might decide, thank God that other guy is doing it. Thank yeah. God that guy's there because it can, it can be difficult at times. It can be, it can be uh, hard at times going through all of this information and all of these things. I know looking at the safety and training side, it's very easy for me to understand what they're talking about and what's going on. But then when you sit as a full board and and uh, Jim Reese presents what's going on in, in comp, I'm like, what do these words mean? Like I, I like ISC and NAC. I had NAC is National Aero Club. USPA is a NAC or National Aero Club. All these words, the first time I heard them from comp, I'm like, are you guys speaking French? Is this what's going on? Yeah. So different people on the board have their have different passions, right? Some of them are instructors. Uh, some of them are all about competition, so they all have different areas where they have their passion, and those are the those are the committees they gravitate towards. Um, like some guys are good at numbers, and that's what they gravitate towards. You know, they'll be on the finance and budget committee. So there's a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of different stuff, and there's there's big milestones we hit in all those areas, like finance and budget. Last year, we we paid off the headquarters building, which is huge, right? We built that building, got built. I believe it was in 2006. We just finished paying it all off last year. So USPA, we as an organization, we now own that building and that land outright. No more, no more mortgage, right? Everybody, everybody's happy when the mortgage is paid off. Um, for people who aren't big into finance, they're like, Oh, okay. But for those who are into that, that's a pretty cool thing, you know? And even if you're not big into finance, it means USPA now can do other things to help our process. Yeah, That money is no longer allocated to pay for a building where it can be put towards an People might think it's silly, but you, the amount of education USPA tries to promote and tries to put out there to help the, 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 the members is great, and it doesn't happen for free. We need to invest into the new sim. We need to invest into these different processes, so it's, it's good to see. And that building is, last time I saw it, beautiful. Yeah, it's I know building. the current tenants might you know, have wrecked it by now. <laughs> More <laughs> well, of a one, shot at Ron. I mean, one of those things you mentioned, like putting, putting resources into other things and money into other things, is last year we, we did a pretty big, uh, PR campaign at the at the second half of the year to get more coverage of our sport out there, right? So we focused on USPA Nationals. We focused on the World Championships that happen over in Russia and the U.S. team performance there. 
and man, it was, it was very positive, right? We had, I think it was like 116 media placements in that five or six month period. And some of them were pretty major, right? There was a feature article in the New York times, CNN. Um, and there was another big one, which I can't believe I can't, can't remember right now, but some big media coverage for the sport. And, and it went really well. It was about $5 million worth of media coverage that we managed to, to get out of, um, out of those efforts. And, and this year we're going to, we're going to double down on that, right? We're going to do it for the entire year and we're going to focus on some of the competition stuff, but we're also going to focus on a lot of other things in the sport too. So we're going to focus on safety related things early in the year. We're going to spend a little bit of time promoting, uh, some of the community relationships that our drop zones have, right? You see, you see, um, like fundraisers that drop zones do all the time, right? Things they do for veterans, things they do for local, their local first responder, right? They do a fundraiser for the local police department or the the fire department or whatever. Um, they raise money for homeless or whatever charity might be in the local community. That stuff happens all the time, right? It happens at f- probably every drop zone in the United States. Um, we want to promote some of that, right? We want to show people that skydivers aren't just crazy people jumping out of planes. They're productive members of their communities, right? And they don't, a lot of people who are in the general public don't always get to see that, right? Well, we want to help that. We want to help them see that by getting it in front of them. Um, For one, I hate, I hate the fact that one of the most, one of the busiest times on the phones at USPA from the media is when there's an unfortunate fatality, right? That kills me. I hate that. The only time these people call is when somebody dies, right? That bugs the shit out of me. So there's so much more that we do, so much more positive stuff that the skydiving community does that is newsworthy, right? So as an organization, we are going to do everything we can to put all of those other positive things in front of those media outlets and in front of the world, right? And, and in doing so, our hope would be that we can shift that that voice and, and the narrative that those people have that we're all just crazy nutbags jumping out of planes. We're not, right? We're productive members of society, productive members of community who 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 love to jump out of planes. So we're gonna like you mentioned resources to bring it back around to that. That's what we're gonna spend some money doing that. And it's uh it's part of the the purpose of the organization, I think. It's great to see the more recent public pushes. A, a good example, I believe Shannon is dealing a lot with the social media. Yeah. And USPA is so active on social media as of late and seeing even just now the, the punch list notes I've gotten were straight posted on USPA's Facebook page. You know, I was prepping for tonight's just by printing out these uh, the agendas and, and I saw a post by USPA that is man, a dozen or so bullet points of things that have happened at this meeting. And, and I love seeing what's coming yeah. and, and going from I mean, there. one of our goals is is to be more timely with some of that stuff, right? Parachutist Magazine, great magazine, comes out once a month. The information that's in it, by the time it gets to your doorstep, it was written a month ago. That's the most recent stuff in there is going to be a month old. So you're not going to go there finding current events. It's It's a lot of historical information, a lot of good information that may have happened a little while ago, but... We've got parachutist.com, which we can put new, more uh, current stuff on. And we've got the social media pages. So we're trying to be more active there. And Shannon's a rock star on that stuff, no doubt. And um, we're trying to keep people up to date on what's going on with their organization through those means. So they can see what 
see what the organization's doing, see what the new information is on skydiving best we can. One of the things that we don't understand as members, and I really it's think it's much easier than most people realize, I do have a problem with US. I don't, I don't really, but I have a problem with USPA. Or I have a question with what's going on currently with USPA. As a member, where do I start? I mean, there's so many ways, right? There's so many ways you can reach out to, to your organization, right? You can pick up the phone and call, and you'll get a person, right? There is no, there's no automated system when you call USPA. There's no, you know, press one for safety and training, press two. No, there's no automated system. Someone in membership services will pick up the phone and talk to you, and they'll get you to the right person. Um, you can call your regional director or email them. You can call or email headquarters. You can call or email uh, your regional director. All the staff, their emails are listed on the website. Your regional director, who is your member regional representative in they live within a few hours of you probably their phone number their email address is on the website call them email them they'll answer um you can hit the organization up on facebook we respond to that um you know pick a method of communication you can send us a message on instagram we'll reply to that too <laughs> or we'll steer you if 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 the person who's answering it doesn't have the answer they'll steer you to where you can get the answer one of the things I'll hear on occasion is, but I don't like my regional director. Or we don't get along, or I think he's an idiot. Um, in Chuck Aker's case, he's done a great job, so I'm not speaking of him. Chuck has actually done a phenomenal job as our regional director and as our president. I couldn't think yeah. of a better ambassador for our sport than that bald-headed fuck. Um, I'm a bald-headed person if you guys don't know me either. Um, Chuck has done a wonderful job, but some people do have limited access or don't get along with their regional director. Can they go straight to their national directors? They can go to any, I mean, uh, yeah. just about anybody will pick up the phone. I mean, all the directors are, are happy to talk to any member. You know, there's none of them, they're, they're not that, none of them are, that's not my job type of people. You know, they'll talk to you about whatever you want to talk to. Um, depending on what it is, you know, pick up the phone, call, you know, call headquarters and we'll try and get you to the right person. You know, there's a staff of 17 people there who are all there focused on the members in the organization. So, We'll, we'll help as best we can, you know, maybe we can answer the question, maybe we can't, but we'll, we'll talk with you about it, you know, or we'll email with you about it, whatever way you're more comfortable doing it. USPA, it, 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 like you said, it doesn't matter. And as a matter of fact, just call Melissa Lowe because she wants to help everybody. And I don't mean that in a mocking way. She really is out there trying to, to make a difference. But I think so many of our directors are, and so many people are accessible and what we see at these board meetings, if you have an idea, if you have a suggestion, or if you think something should be changed, bring it up to these folks. Because these agendas aren't made purely by board members or purely no. by staff members. They, a lot of it are suggested by y'all, but a lot of it comes directly from the, the members. The members go to their regional directors and say, hey, Chuck, I think this should be changed. And I've seen regional directors and national directors bring up topics to the table having an opinion on it that might differ than the member who brought it up, but would still bring it up in their member's voice. Mm -hmm. I One of the most amazing things I saw uh, on the board in some of my time attending these meetings is I've actually seen board members say, I personally don't feel this way, but my members do, so I will vote this way. And it, it's neat to see that these guys and gals don't sometimes it's a board member's place to vote in the best interest of the members because as members, we don't always understand what's going on. But it was so neat to see multiple board members in various occasions vote 
despite their own opinions a different way because that's what their constituent wants. So these people really are listening, and, they, and you guys really are accessible. I'm, yeah. Heck, Ron Bell takes my phone call weekly, the poor guy. <laughs> <laughs> so, we do turn a pumpkin anytime soon, and frankly, we could spend a full weekend on this yeah. topic because you guys just did. Is there anything else you think we uh, should share this time around? Because we've got to do this again. Yeah, for sure. I mean, other good stuff. I mean, like... The phone's always open. You know, other cool stuff came out of the board meeting. There was a lot of if if you're if you do a lot of the online discussion, there's a lot of discussion on um, harassment stuff that came up. That was a pretty big topic. It's been coming up for a couple of years now, and and there's some movement on that. The board updated the value statement of the organization. They found a spot for that value statement in the manuals. Previously, it just kind of floated around in the early pages. So they've actually decided to put it in the it's in the table of contents. It's going to have a place it lives. Um, they adopted some uh, definitions for harassment and, and discrimination and things like that. That went through. And they also uh, move forward with plans to uh, develop some uh, professionalism, uh, some online modules and training tools for professionalism in the sport and for our instructors. So, you know, the things that talk about like, everything right you're an instructor in the sport how do you best represent the sport you know brush your teeth comb your hair put some deodorant on <laughs> you know don't make rude comments about somebody's gender uh the things that the in a lot of companies kind of kind of come along you know tuck your shirt in you know whatever the business code is that where that pe- those people work well our sport should have some of those too for being professional uh in their conduct when they're taking students so there's going to be some online training tools um, for our instructors in that realm, which hopefully will help educate folks on, you know, maybe what's socially acceptable for their customers and, and what maybe isn't. So, um, that's a big one that I think is gonna, gonna, uh, really help, help folks out. I want to ask, that's one of the topics I wanted to, to make sure we hit at the end. And Jedi, can you remind me what Jedi stands for? So Jedi is, um, justice, equity, equity diversion, and inclusion. So there's a bunch of different acronyms for that. You can go with Jedi, you can go with DEI is diversity, equity, inclusion. And those are those programs are are really I mean, you'll find them in a lot of companies, you'll find them in a lot of organizations. If you go into um the US Olympic and Paralympic uh movement and the national governing bodies that are in there, I've spent a lot of time in those dealing with those, working with those organizations in the last year. I actually joined a group that is the all this, all the executive directors and CEOs of those organizations. So I've got that. I've been learning a lot about what they do and how they do it. But those organizations are mandated to have those type of uh, programs for DEI and things like that. And they're actually graded on it by the U.S. Olympic Committee. Um, and those are kind of visionary goal-setting type of, uh, of programs that they set up for trying to reach certain benchmarks in, in those, in, in diversity and, and inclusion. Um, some of the stuff that we've been working on more recently with this has been more about harassment and discrimination and things like that, which is a, a bit different than, than, than Jedi or, or DEI. Um, so kind of separate, but they've, they've kind of all been in a lot of the discussions they're lumped together. So they're a bit different, but they're lumped together, but they're, I mean, they're all important things. So it brings up a couple thoughts for me. First of all, I've watched and listened to people argue over this whole topic for the last little while. And the online discussions do get a little bit heated. And, and some will argue, 
well, that's not a governing body's job or place to be. It's up to an employer, a, a drop zone to decide who they want to hire and how they want to hire. And people will argue that day in and day out. But you're sitting here telling me that so many other organizations that are similar to ours, you, you sit on, uh, you're in a group of them, do the exact same thing already. This is a commonplace practice to have this kind of, of guidance and professional education. Well, the guidance and professional education, you know, um, the, the guidance and, and professionalism and things like that, that's about, I mean, that's about, you can also look at that as continuing education for a certification, right? So we, we are a credentialing body for instructors in the sport, right? We give AFF rating, tandem rating. Um, in many other industries, the concept of having a, a, a rating or an instructional instructional rating or a license to do something, they require you to do continuing education in whatever that is, right? If you're a dentist, if you're an accountant, if you're a doctor, if you're uh, a therapist, if you hold any, you know, there's, you, you can name them, there's thousands of them, right? They require some sort of continuing education to maintain that. Rigors. That rigor. Yeah, you have to do that kind of stuff, right? So that concept of doing that is something that we think is I'm I'm pretty passionate about. It. I think it's pretty important to make sure that the people who are in our sport educating are kept up to date. Right? Simple thing. We talked about the change document from one board meeting to the next, the BSR change. There's probably still instructors out there that don't know that the minimum deployment altitude in our sport changed five years ago, seven years ago, whatever it was. They don't know, right? And there's no continuing education program in our sport to make sure they know that. So, as the credentialing body, that's something that we've looked. I personally feel like, hey, maybe we should have something that reminds those people other than the document that we say, hey, please don't forget to go read the document. Well, what if we put the content that's in that document into a video format and said, hey, watch this video. And you could spend however long it takes, 20 minutes, half hour, I don't know, and watch this video that says, oh, here's some updated changes for you as an instructor that you may want to know. And you watch it in a video format, right? Because everybody would rather, there's some people who learn by reading, and there's other people who learn a whole lot better by having someone take that same bit of information and read it to them, and they just listen to the person, right? It's, a, it's an audio book, <laughs> right? Some people will never pick up a book and read, but they love audio books, right? They'll read it that way. That's the way they consume it. So that's kind of the the bit on that on that educational stuff. And that really hits a nail on the head. So many people right now that I see online are immediately arguing against this process because they think it's specifically for this equity, uh, diversity, and inclusion process where it's just straight up professional education. It's continuing education. Some of the videos might include things about sexual harassment, but they also might include things about present. It's, it's not just one small topic, right? It's everything. Yeah. the I mean, the professionalism stuff is the professionalism and some of the, we, you know, the, the title of what that one's going to be called is, is still in the works, but one of the things we've labeled internally, we've labeled it, um, uh, interacting or, or um, how to act around your Sky family, right? So you hear the word Sky family used on a pretty regular basis, and that's the one the staff has actually adopted in their, in their development of this is how do you treat your Sky family, right? How do, you act or, how do you act around those people who are part of your Sky family, right? How do you treat them? How do you communicate with them? How do you liaise with them? How should you be acting with them? And, uh, you know, how do you treat that family, the other side of things on the Jedi stuff you had talked about or the DEI stuff is <clears throat> those are visionary programs. And there are a lot of or organizations and associations who do that, right? It's not something that USPA has taken on. 
um, uh, at this point. Maybe they, maybe the board will decide they want to get heavier into that in the future. Um, but at this point, hasn't really picked that up on a, on a large scale. But there are certainly plenty of organizations out there that have, and associations that have. It's interesting to hear you say it that way because if I believe what I see online, if I believe what I hear the average person saying on the interwebs, uh, USPA is now including DEI in this education and these things. And obviously we're misinformed by somebody somewhere. Um, all the same posts I read from people like Melissa and, and other folks on the board. And it, to me, it's obvious what you're saying because they've, they've made that statement. And Melissa has even talked about she's going to put out a, uh, a longer written uh, a better explanation of what's coming. Uh, but said and done, the goal is to have this kind of continuing education. Is it fair to just nickname it that for now? Uh, for instructors required? Uh, yeah, probably will be as a, as, a, as a condition of rating renewal. Okay, we'll, so we'll it'll be a yearly. Instructors do it, whether it's yearly or every other year. That's still kind of, I think, in the works. Okay. Yeah. And I, I would be interested to see it happen. <clears throat> I, I don't, for me, just for no other reason, but just self-betterment, man. If I can take these classes, if I can take these online videos, if I can watch and reflect, even if it doesn't change a way I think or a way I do, it at least made me think about what I am and what I do. Hopefully in the said and done, it makes me better. So it's nice to hear. Um, if you guys and gals think USPA have jumped the gun on this, wait and listen to what's really going on because back to it, what I see from quite a few posts online aren't the truth. And these are random people rambling. These aren't uh, leaders in, in USPA saying these things. Uh, not what's going on, we still need to get explanations for, and you'll see more answers coming soon with clarity. If you want to get an idea of what some of that's going to look like, we actually just finished up and we were kind of scurrying to get it done before the board meeting um, and, and staff did an awesome job. You know, Jen, Jen Sharp and, and Ron Bell led the, led the charge on this one. Um, was getting getting the SNTA module training done. And historically, if you were an SNTA, you did a, a, a module, a learning module online. And many, many years ago, they created this and the idea that we needed to provide some level of education to our SNTA. So they created this learning module online and it's questions and answers, multiple choices. And you have to take this. It's kind of like a test, but it's really a learning module. So if you get the questions wrong, you just keep taking it until you get them right. It's about learning, right? It's not about a pass fail. And recently this year, uh, starting last year into the first couple months of this year, they transferred all that into an interactive learning. So it's got animation, it's the it's talking, it's got pictures that pop up and then periodically the video stops and it asks you a question about the content you just watched. So if you're an SNTA and you're getting ready to do that or quite frankly if you're a member or an instructor and you just want to try and learn that information, get in touch and we'll give you access to that training module if you want to learn that stuff. But, um, try that out, check it out. You should, you should probably, you probably love it. Go on there and, uh, go through that learning module and it'll give you a good flavor of what those educational online learning um, programs are going to look like. Cause that's the first one we've done. Who could give me access to that? Who would I have to hit up to get that? Uh, hit up Ron Bell. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, believe it or not, I'm not an SNTA. Um, I've been a fan of an SNTA and a examiner are have similar abilities. Yeah, an SNTA can sign demo insurance, an examiner can sign initial ratings. Other than that, they have very similar abilities. And I've never been an I I don't want to be an SNTA because if I'm an IE and I have that ability, and then Nick can be an SNTA that doubles the ability of people to support you on the drop zone. Mm -hmm. 
Um, anybody who does both roles, I'm okay with. I think Hank loves to be both SNTA and IE, and more power to him. But um, yeah, I'd have to hit up Ron because I I don't have access. I've only taken the modules once. Uh, Luke Akins and I sat next to each other in the board meeting. They came up with those modules, and we had a contest to see who had a better score. I beat him <laughs> by one. Just saying. Yes. <laughs> um, man, it is getting late. Um, believe it or not, the room is still spinning for me. It's been very. I uh, I've been on a cruise for the last seven days, and I get very bad motion sickness and. Just focusing on looking at you without the room spinning has been very challenging. <laughs> I don't know if you see me. I've been nauseous a bit of this evening. You're only wobbling, wobbling a little bit. I'm it wasn't that noticeable from back here. I'm not drunk, I swear. Uh, <laughs> is there anything else you want to share about this past meeting or USPA for our, our members? Man, nothing I can think of. We covered a lot, right? We went through a oh, lot yeah. of stuff. But, um, I mean, I think the big thing is, like, just... Keep check out the you know check out the YouTube page check out the Facebook page look at what USPA is doing if you have questions ask you know um, there's there's plenty of people either staff or board members um, who are who are working really hard to to try and keep the the sport of skydiving going and headed in the right direction that that um, the board thinks is best and these are the people you've elected to kind of help make those decisions and guide the organization so. I mean, I think it's a good time for the sport, and I think it's a good time for the organization. And if you've got constructive criticism or things you don't know about, just just give somebody a call and let us know, and we'll we'll walk you through it. You know, better yet, get involved, be part of the system. Yeah, I promise you, people at USPA would gladly take your help and your input. Man, a lot of the change that happens comes from people who aren't on the board and aren't staff, right? Like, so there are people who send in proposals or show up at the meeting and present stuff. Like there were people at this meeting. There was um, the guy who started doing. Uh, did Did you see the the? There's a video that hit a little while back of a guy who had uh, two high performance canopies tethered together, and somebody in free fall docked on him. MVP. It was called MVP. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he showed up at the board meeting and he presented what he was doing, how he was doing it, and he presented it to the regional director, saying, "Hey, this is what I did." Uh, I want to show you guys this. So if somebody shows up at your drop zone and wants to do it, you know a little bit about what it is. And that was his way of kind of spreading a little bit of information about it. And that way the regional directors knew what it was. That way if a drop zone called and said, hey, there's these two guys that are trying to tie himself together and do a downplane, um, what the hell is this stuff? The regional director now has a little bit of knowledge about what it is and maybe where they can find some resources on what it is and maybe how these how these guys are doing it. So... Um, changes in competition or safety come a lot of the time they come from members who say, Hey, I think that your organ, our organization should do this. And they come in and they present something that's constructive and the board goes, Oh yeah, that's a, that's a really great idea. I think, you know, maybe we could do this and tweak this a little bit like this. And next thing you know, there's new guidance or there's a new idea or there's a new competition event or whatever it may be. And um, a lot of those ideas come from, the great people that are in the organization getting involved and coming to the board with an idea. And, uh, you know, it's, it's the organ, our, our organization is as good as we make it. Right. So USPA is not a group of staff members at headquarters. USPA is not a group of stuffy old guys and gals, uh, at a board meeting. USPA is all of us. It is the members. And, and if you guys and gals have a problem with USPA, my guess is, is you've not got involved. Give it a try. Give it a shot. I found them so receptive, and I promise you, you wouldn't be envious of their job. Um, uh, I've 
I served for a short year on the board and, and helped out a little bit. And Chuck has encouraged me to run again as a re- national director. And people say I'd get the vote. And I'll tell you one thing right now. I don't feel like I want to be or need to be a national director. Number one, man, it's a lot of free work. Number two, I have as much influence on the board. I just don't have a vote on the board as I think I need. I, I can call. I can talk to anybody anytime I want. And finally, I don't have any uh, restrictions to what I can say and what I can do. And this podcast is a great place for us to have an open platform. I, I know as board members and staff members, you sign a, 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 a non-disclosure. Is that what well, it's it not a non-disclosure. It's confi- it? There's confidentiality agreement. And that's that, it. That really has to do with, I mean, that has to do with if you're privy to anything that's not public information. Sure. Like if you get information on a lawsuit that the organization's involved in or some <laughs> of the detail in the financials or stuff you, yeah. may, you may be privy to about a, a, a member that isn't public information that you, so you have a, a duty to keep that information confidential. But I mean, there's also, I mean, there's that confidentiality side of things, the things you have to keep confidential, but for the most part, it's a pretty transparent yeah. and, and we're, we try to make sure it's a transparent organization for all the members so they can, they can know what's going on in it. Yeah. You should run, you should run again. Actually, you know, we just tripled the salary for the board members this year. Boom. No, thank you. <laughs> you know, I, I I will not say I will never run again. I will not say I will never try to serve on the board again because I don't know what 10 years from now brings. But my life in skydiving has gotten turned upside down in the last two to three years in a very good way. Um, I've gotten a lot of uh, opportunities and growth for what I do. And uh, my focus is there. My focus is, is there. And I also believe USPA is in a great place. Um, Chuck Akers is our regional director, and and if anybody runs against Chuck Akers, I'll go tie him up and beat him down for Chuck. I got no problem with that. <laughs> um, and our national directors, we're just in such a good place. Why should I serve at this moment? For me, it's not there. Back to it in ten years, maybe you'll see me there again. When you got the free time, um, the free time, or I'm bored, or I feel like there needs to be some help because I earnestly believe there will be lulls. There will be times where there's. Uh, uh, a lull in, in the in the board members where I just don't agree with what's going on and I want to be there to help guide or, or be part of the process. But I appreciate that vote of confidence and the offer of tripling my pay. Yeah. So technically you just said $180. Because don't we, it wasn't it like 60 bucks uh, uh, every six months no, to cover your cell phone or something silly like that for our Well, there's there's a communication yeah. stipend, but it's not a salary. Yeah, I'm there's, trying to triple no that. <laughs> I was tripling the salary. Which okay, is, that, which is zero. Yeah, it's uh, so you guys hear heard it here first. Don G. Marvin, twenty twenty three national director. He's doing I, no- it. I nominate this man. I second the nomination. <laughs> I'll tell you what, <laughs> wheels are turning. Let's I am. Do run- it. I'm running for the twenty twenty three national director spot. Go for it. There's no election in twenty twenty three. Fuck. Twenty twenty four. There'll be election. All right. I was yeah, not doing got, that one. We've got plenty of momentum. We'll keep it going for a year if we have to. No, however man. long we have to. I, uh, I really encourage you guys. I, it, it's a great community, a great organization. Um, get involved and help your board members out. Alex, Nick, anything else you want to ask Matt, or th- share Thank with? you guys for making uh, a thing that can sometimes be a boring part of skydiving a little more uh, exciting and interesting. And uh, thanks for being that voice. Man, thanks for having me, you guys. I, I'm, I'm happy to have been here. You know, It was pretty cool to be able to stop over here after the board meeting and and chat with you about it. I mean, you guys are the first people I've been able to talk to about some of the stuff that's come out of the, the past meeting. And then and then uh, also talk to you guys about the, the things that we've been doing at USPA and some of the stuff that's changed more recently. And, and uh, you know, thanks for having me on. 
Oh man, it's, it's also great to see you guys too. It's been a while. The last time we actually saw you was uh, you sat next to seven in a row podcast. Uh, Albert was formerly the <laughs> director of marketing. Is that the right title at Performance yeah, Designs? Yeah, marketing manager. Marketing yeah. manager at Performance Designs. And thankfully, he was one of the guys there who literally sat in the room right next to us. We did seven shows in three days. Yeah. Man, that was such a whirlwind tour and absolutely had a blast. And uh, That was like almost exactly two years ago, right? Uh, yeah, it was two years ago to uh, the 17th, I believe, of February. Um, so yeah, almost two years ago to date. Yep, back so, in the land. Yep. Man, time flies when you're having fun. White boy, play that funky music. All right, here Guys we go. Guys and gals, USPA.org, O-R-G, hit up the website, surf it. You can find your contact information. Open the front of your Parachutes magazine. You can find contact information for regional, national directors, your staff members. You have a question, you have a problem, you have a solution. Please hit them up. This organization is nothing without its members. Albert, thank yeah. you for being here. USPA. Thank you guys for everything you've done to protect our source of skydiving. Thanks for having me, man. Blue skies. Take my house. See ya. Yeah. I feel like we're going to keep talking. Maybe. What? What? (laughs) Ow, my elbow. Yeah, I feel like we've been like having little side conversations at the the end end, of the show. Yeah. Yeah. You use the sim sim online very much? Uh, Every so often, if I have to look something up. Control control F for anyone who's going to go through that sim online. Control F is a... Huge tool. Nice. Yeah, it's a finding function. I hit PDFs, Control F, search. If you would have looked at the old meeting notes, mm-hmm. every one of them hit Control F and type 2500. Uh, you would have probably quickly found that BSR after going through about 12 different ones. Yeah. Well, let's get that in mind. Control F. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>